and it kind of feels like it's all falling apart. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. Oh, it's been a tough week. The Rams beat down on Denver so hard they finally had to fire Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> so hey, we got Connor here, we've got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's tricks? Not too bad, yeah. I was in at loan for the, the Christmas weekend, um, for which we... Spent a lot of time out of doors walking the dog. Um, I gave the dog and my fiance a great tour of Athlone. The 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 some nice bits and the, <laughs> the the woods and stuff. Yeah, she said she'd never seen some. She's been in Athlone maybe five or six times, but she's never seen that much of it until we finally got a dog and a reason to get out every day. But yeah, to be honest, the amount of much. walking you do when you have the dog, particularly like we had shite weather down in Kerry for it, and like we were still because you still have to take them out walking, particularly if you like yeah, both yeah. of us have kind of dogs that need a good bit of good bit of exercise and uh, there's something both fun and grim about going on a walk and being literally the only people on that walk because it's pissing rain and no one else is stupid enough to do it Uh, but yeah I must say very happy I invested in waterproof gear for for this Christmas Um, but yeah so you had a nice time up there anyway oh yeah it was grand yeah seeing family and stuff and chilling out doing the Christmas stuff we uh, we did a family watch of the Banshees of Inish Aaron which I thought was my mother was a huge fan of it. Uh, she thought it was really, really good. Excellent. Um, but uh, yeah, that no, was all around. All around good, good weekend break. Very good. All right, yourself, Fitz? Yeah, still back down in Cavan. Uh, dealing with a bit of an illness. Everyone in the house has got something, it feels like. But It's going to play yeah, through uh, the pain, though. Yeah, yeah, got to go through the pain, you know, whatever like that. But uh, play out the line, Yeah, it won't be my, be my brilliant self uh, in this podcast. But uh, we'll struggle through and we'll get through at the end, though. Yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see if you need a bit of support in the dump-off. Uh, <laughs> very good. Yeah, no, I'm just back in Dublin from having been down in Kerry. We love your time. Uh, we did the, the big family watch outside of the traditional ones was uh, Glass Onion, which um, is getting a lot of hate online. Uh, I, I quite enjoyed it. That was good fun. And uh, yeah, doubly so. Any any film that pisses off Ben Shapiro that much is definitely worth watching. So um, hardly, hardly recommend. Um, not quite, maybe not quite on the level of the last one, but there was parts of it that were just excellently done. Uh, and some very enjoyable acting, so uh, hardly, hardly recommend that. I suppose we should swing into the news and bits, given uh, there's a few things happening around the league. Uh, we mentioned at the top there, Denver have fired head coach Nathaniel Hackett, because I guess he just couldn't. Um, <laughs> comes in his first season, uh, so he didn't even make it to the end of his first season with a 4-11 and record. Um, absolute collapse a spectacle of collapse of of russell wilson trade has been terrible they've got the lowest scoring offense in the nfl um they're tied to him so there's nothing they can do jerry rosenberg's been named their interim head coach which is also a messy thing that we can discuss as well that they've now came out and announced that like he's not going to report into the gm and like they're basically just they've not got joined up thinking happen so like the tenure also had sloppy on-field play a lot of tension public disagreement between players management and the uh and and the coaching and stuff like that it was it was an absolute mess um now the big one that that i think a lot of people are kind of forgetting is that this was never meant to be the plan and wilson was never meant to be the plan the acquisition of nathaniel hackett as i remember it was almost entirely based around the idea of they expected to be getting aaron Rodgers, 
and then are surprised that you know the skill set for Aaron Rodgers and the skill set for for Russell Wilson are, are, are different things and the skill levels that they're at are, are, are different things but um just overall this has been a terrible situation but this was in the post right because if you give a quarterback a quarter of a billion dollars it's not him that's going to be the first Jenga piece to go if you decide something's going to have to change, right? So this was, like, we knew this was coming. It's just more surprising maybe that they're doing it with two weeks left in the season. Yeah, I mean, you can make excuses all you want about him not having the quarterback he expected or or it being Russell Wilson's fault because he's suddenly become the worst quarterback in the world. But there's a base level of competence you require from a head coach. And I think it was clear from... From week one, that Italian Hackett was not a NFL caliber head coach in terms of his his play calling, the, his his kind of sense of the of the game um, dynamic and such. He was he was never making any good decisions, and it didn't help that that he had a a one time star quarterback who was having uh, you know a precipitous decline. But I mean, yeah, the Broncos have been terrible this year, and you and you can point to Hackett as being a very big contributor to that. So I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it is it is strange to be done. At this point, why not wait till the end of the season? Why not have done it eight weeks ago when it was clear that this was as terrible? I mean, this was the 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 guillotine has been hanging over his head for so long. The only real surprise is that it happened right now, I think. Um, and it's not entirely clear where the Broncos go from here because it feels like now they're maybe at the beginning of a massive rebuild where they have to change quarterbacks and change head coaches and they, and you know they've lost a lot of draft picks and you know cap issues etc cetera, etc cetera. so it seems like a bit of a messy situation for any new head coach to be coming into yeah yeah uh, and whenever you go into this deeper see it seems worse and worse because i believe the uh, head coach job on interim basis was offered to their defensive coordinator who's obviously had mostly good season we'll ignore last week but uh he basically said no i'd much rather focus on the defense and that may give a preview of how desirable this job is to other head coaching candidates when you know literally someone inside's like nah you're all right like the jerry rosberg decision as interim head coach is, is kind of ironically hilarious because he was brought in specifically to help out natalia hackett with like uh play call and with uh, uh clock decisions basically mm. uh Daniel hackett was so terrible at it starting as Sean mentioned in week one where they were on the final drive and didn't know to take a timeout and, and we know I remember Peyton Manning going should take a timeout type of situation um the only thing they have the advantage is that they obviously have a new owner who part, probably part of the reason why they fired Hackett because it's a new owner and he wasn't tied to him but the Waltons are obviously incredibly rich so they can offer a pretty substantial financial package to any coach who did come here but you know with the Russell Wilson situation hanging over them and big questions over whether Wilson is just done done or just this is a bad situation. Um, it's it's a tough situation to come into. I think Russell Wilson probably still has something in him, but you know I think you're going to have to revert to what they had in Seattle and not try and turn him into Aaron Rodgers or into a kind of West Coast type quarterback. It's just not who he is, and you know make it based on that going forward. But you know a team that doesn't have much draft picks has a big question mark quarterback, uh, big issues in terms of obviously the morale of the team as a whole in the locker room, uh, big job. Uh, so yeah, they'll probably need a lot of money to get someone who's actually worth bringing in here to, to do the job for them. Yeah, no, it's going to be a messy one. Um, they've given themselves a big out hole to try and dig themselves out. Um, I don't think Nathaniel Hackett was a uh, a positive contributor to their to the thing, but I don't think getting rid of him is going to fix the the structural problems there. But uh, we'll see how they fare with that moving forward. Uh, let's have a look at some movements around the league. Uh, we've had some extensions. Um, Green Bay and Cleveland have both decided to extend uh, offensive linemen. Green Bay extend Elton Jenkins, four years, $68 million. And Cleveland extend Jack Conklin, four years, $60 million. Good business, I think. Keep him in-house. 
I think when you look at the the both the players that are coming up on the open market available at linemen, particularly at tackle, uh, and the types of um, fees that they are demanding, the types of salaries that they are commanding whenever they are getting to the open market, this just makes sense to lock these things down. Both of these teams have either in Green Bay milking another year out of an aging quarterback who needs a line or providing stability for a young up-and-comer coming in behind them and for Cleveland look this year's a write-off it's time to lock in pieces that can help them milk some success out of uh out of Deshaun Watson I suppose so both of these just make sense to me averaging in the kind of the 15 to 17 million range sounds good yeah I mean you're talking both of these guys are, are Pro Bowl caliber offensive linemen I mean, the offensive line is, is, is often the, the, the least distinguished part of, of any team. They're, they're not the ones who make the headlines. But these are the guys who are taking every snaps, and these are the guys who are protecting your star player. So it, it makes sense to, that if you have the pieces in place to, to, to lock them down with a lot of money rather than going to try to find one. I mean, we, we look, for example, we've seen the Bengals having to completely rebuild their offensive line and the troubles they've had with that. So if you have, if you have good offensive linemen, you should hold on to them at, at every cost, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I pretty much agree completely. Like, I think if you're going to next year, like the best one available right now is probably Orlando Brand, and I don't think the Chiefs will let him go, to be honest, at the end. And after that, it's drop-off to someone like George Font. So, yeah, yeah. it just makes complete sense to hold on to guys like this if you have them already in-house. Yeah, like, I'll put it this way. Brown is a chap who's on the Chiefs at the moment, and I think if there were better options out there, they'd be trying to swap. Uh, so, like, that that says a lot that, like, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think the Chiefs will probably try and keep him another year or tag him or something. Um, just because there's not a lot out there, and unless you get lucky and hit on a on a on a kind of day one starter in the draft, they normally take about a year or so to develop anyway. Um, let's look at some movements uh, injury wise around the league. So we got a couple of um, ones. We'll say, I think yeah, all these all all the ones I'm about to talk about now are all playoff relevant. Uh, so we'll we'll just fly through them. So um, big ones at the top Philadelphia have taken a lot of hits Devante Maddox their defensive back has injured his tone is out indefinitely their tackle Lane Johnson has injured his abdomen likely to miss the rest of the season and possibly the playoffs as well and their defensive tackle Jordan Davis has concussion and he is week to week Cincinnati's offensive lineman Lyle Collins is gone for the season with an ACL injury Carolina cornerback Chasey Horn has injured his wrist and likely gone for the season they've brought in Josh Norman to try and assist so he's returning home uh, after being away for quite some time Tampa Bay offensive lineman Josh Wells has a patellar tendon injury and he's gone for the season. Miami quarterback Tunga, Tua Tungavailoa has re-entered the concussion protocol in his week-to-week and Seattle offensive lineman Abe Lucas has injured his thigh and he's week-to-week. Obviously the last two are a little bit lighter than the other ones but these are all playoff relevant teams albeit in varying degrees and uh, these are all impactful kind of um, injuries that are going to, particularly for some of the ones that are on the bubble probably have a large impact on them being able to get it we'll go into the permutations later on but obviously look philly are kind of coasting to the playoffs at the moment but this is a lot of pieces to start to drop you lose a defensive back you lose your offensive tackle you lose another piece on that defensive line um this is starting to look like a, a slightly different looking philadelphia squad than the one that was high flying in mid-season 
Yeah, like, look, Lane Johnson is a huge loss. Like, you're probably talking about the best right tackle in the league, uh, certainly since whatever Schwartz retired a couple of seasons ago anyway. Yeah. Um, so if he can't play in the playoffs, like, the rest of the regular season's fine. They can probably get another win and get the number one seed. Uh, but if he could be back with the playoffs, that would be huge for them. Um, to be honest, him and Jalen Hurts together are almost of equal importance because if you don't have Lane Johnson, then then the run game's going to be greatly affected. The pass game's going to be affected. The whole thing might, you know... It, it, it's not a Jenga piece thing, but it's as close as you can be with an offensive lineman, I would say. Yeah. And Avante Maddox, definitely a loss there in the defensive backfield. Uh, I think they are getting Gardner Johnson back, it, it, it's certainly by the playoffs. So they will have someone to replace him in the slot position, but obviously a hit to your depth there. And Jordan Davis, he's had a few injuries recently, so you definitely don't want to see that happening uh, anymore going forward. Leal Collins has been a little bit of a disappointment for Cincinnati since he was brought in as a free agent, but still, obviously, given the lack of depth they have definitely a loss there uh, particularly in the run game and uh, JC Horn obviously a bit of a loss there for Carolina he's been playing really well as a second year young player uh, Josh Norman's not really much of a replacement but look Carolina you know we'll see with them like I think mm-hmm. their thing is mostly about just keeping control of the clock and running the ball a lot I don't know how much the, the pass defense makes a difference to that and Josh Wells like look he's not a big name but obviously for Tampa Bay he was starting because they have so many injuries there so that's just another hit to the you know complete lack of depth that they have at all uh, at the at that position as for the Tua situation look you have to be concerned there with Tua going back to concussion protocol after all the controversy earlier this season yeah. and he did play the rest of that game after getting what what whatever caused the concussion so you know some questions there going forward for them and we'll see and he had how a terrible end of that game he threw three pretty bad interceptions in the second half so he yeah be so big questions there about the whole Tua situation once again yeah no it's uh not great look for them. So as I said, we'll be coming into the kind of the permutations and stuff um, for the playoffs, but a lot of that could could, could be quite impactful there. And um, there's another piece of news: uh, Arizona defensive lineman JJ Watt has announced that he will retire at the end of the season. He's a three-time Defensive Player of the Year with 111 and a half sacks during his 12-season career. Let's hopefully he can get another half sack and round that number out. That'll be nice. I hate the I hate the half <laughs> number at the end of it. Um, yeah, like he's probably going to get a first ballot Hall of Fame. He was the face of defensive football um, for for a number of years. Uh, at his height, was great, and even 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 with all of the accolades he's going to have, he was injured during periods of that, so he did that without even having a full set of games during it. Uh, obviously, his his brother is also playing exceptionally well for the Pittsburgh Steelers at the moment. Um, it's not been like uh, a mind blowing last couple of years for the for the tail end of the career but um yeah you know uh he will be remembered mostly for his terrible training montage on hard knocks to fort miners remember the name um and entirely scripting pretty much every interaction he had with the media on those tv shows i believe he's still doing it currently on the in-season one with arizona but um yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. As much as he might seem like a bit of a, bit of a, bit of an arse, uh, he is a top end, top end talent, and I'd say like three times defensive player of the year. Uh, just, just was, was a game changer uh, when he was at his, at the height of his powers. Um, so yeah, congrats to him. And like I said, I imagine he'll be straight in in three years' time into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, one of the very best at his position when he was at his peak, one of those explosive defensive players that, that as you said, could, could change games just by by making the big play, the big sack, or, or, or disrupting the offense enough. Um, when he was at, It's a shame almost that the Texans, they never quite got... They had some good teams when he was there, but they never quite got to do 
you think about, for example, the Aaron Donald thing where he finally managed to get his, get his ring after after years of being the very yeah. best. JJ Watt never had that moment. He never had a team that was able to get over that hump and be be good enough. And the Arizona years, I mean, can be best forgotten. He's you know it was kind of a going somewhere obscure and, and you know ending his career in the sun to a certain extent. But definitely when he was at his peak, he was one of the best. And and yeah, first round Hall of Famer. There's no question about that. Deserving that. Yeah, but at least he's finishing on a season which has been pretty good for Arizona. Like he's uh, just below ten sacks at the moment. Um, so he's obviously a guy. If he wanted to play more, he could play more. But obviously, it's decided like he's a kid recently, and obviously, just seeing where the the writing's on the wall in terms of the team he's currently on, that maybe it's better to retire now while he still has uh, his health. Because obviously, he has. You mentioned Connor; he's had a lot of health issues, and yeah, I doubt it's going to get better as time goes on. But to be fair to him, he's had a good season this season, so at least he goes out on a positive note instead of one of those injury seasons he had in recent years. Yeah, no, no, big time. Uh, and on that lovely note, we'll move on and have a look at the games from last week. So first up, we have a big clash from the NFC East. Philadelphia at the Dallas Cowboys, 40-34. to This is a back-and-forth game that came down to the Dallas defence who, to be honest, hadn't been up to a wild pile and they just coming in real strong at the tail end. They had two interceptions, two fumbles, two tur- a turnover and downs and two tackles for a loss. Um, Philly just kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple of times. Obviously, the context here is that they are playing with Gardner Minshew, who did a decent job but did have a couple of turnovers, three turnovers on the last three drives. Uh, he still had 360 yards, three touchdowns, and obviously two interceptions and a fumble. Um, Dak looked good in this game, 388, three touchdowns and an interception. He had some shaky starts, but then a couple of big money plays. I think the, the highlight people will always be going to, and we can all collectively pat ourselves on the back for saying that we thought T.Y. Hilton would be the one who would do a little bit more impactful work. Uh, caught a 50-yard pass on a 3rd and 30 conversion um, to kind of keep the keep the game in shooting range for them. Um, it was an impressive win for Dallas. Uh, it's what they needed to see here that they could go toe-to-toe with one of these larger teams you do wonder if you know if, if Jalen Hurts is in there and as we mentioned there if their offensive line isn't banged up um is this the kind of game that Dallas wins I think probably not in that scenario because it was just really the fourth quarter that allowed them to get back into it properly and the kind of the collapse of Minshew down the tail end of it um but still you know 34 to 40 like this is a Philly defense that you wouldn't normally have expected to see um, allow this many points as well, so it's a good sign for the offense too. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was, it was a bit messy. We saw like the big player Ceedee Lamb went over a hundred yards, had two touchdowns as well. It was, it was good. Um, but yeah, like for both sides, I wouldn't take this as an indicator of how a following matchup in the playoffs would go. We'll say. Well, no, no. I mean, this yeah can be written off in terms of of what we learn in terms of the future possibilities. But I thought this was just a good game between two good teams. It reminded me a little bit of the the Bills Chiefs game from earlier there, just in terms of the this were two clearly two quality teams playing at a high level against each other, and you kind of got a sense that you know it didn't really matter who won or lost. It was just a game to sit back and enjoy. I mean, presumably if you're Eagles or Cowboys fans, maybe not so much, but the, the neutral could definitely sit back and enjoy just the, the game being played at a, at a high level. And I do think it is a good sign for the Eagles that they they looked they played pretty even against what is a, a really a 
pretty good team in the NFC with, without their star quarterback. The argument you can make is that if Jalen Hurts had been in there, the Eagles would have probably won this game quite comfortably. Uh, maybe, maybe not. It, it's hard to, to know. Minshew did have some nice moments, but he did have those costly mistakes as well. So probably Jalen Hurts, this might have been the difference in terms of that. The, the Eagles will, they'll be happy enough with how things went offensively. Defensively, they won't be happy at all. I thought the defense was well short of the standards that, that they've expected from themselves um, this season. Uh, they really struggled to contain the Cowboys. The, the battle up front, the, both of the offensive lines kind of won their battles against it, against the D-line, and there wasn't an awful lot going there. And giving up 40 points to Dallas will, will hurt the Eagles. So, again, the Eagles are like, we know they're good. We don't really know how good they are, and it's going to be interesting to see when they get to the challenge in the in the playoffs whether they really are the, the elite team or whether they're just the best wipe the floor at them but i think we might be likely to see these two teams in, a, in perhaps in a championship round or something like that because it kind of feels like san francisco aside these are the two best teams in the nfc the more thing aside of this i think is the cowboys we i think we learned a little bit about the cowboys in terms of their their improvement they obviously have had quite a few bad back-to-back bad weeks the the game against the texans and the loss against the jags this was back to the kind of mid-season Cowboys where, where things were flowing a little bit more. It looked like it was going to not be spectacular. I mean, the Dak making that pretty brutal interception earlier, we all kind of rolled our eyes and thought, oh no, here it goes again, the, the same old Cowboys. But then he had a really good game after that. I thought it was one of the best games I've seen from, from Dak this season and, and certainly got back in, into the groove. C.D. Lamb had a big game. It's nice to see him really stepping into that, that WR1 role. It, it, it definitely feels as though the Amari Cooper is not being missed anymore. Defense will be a little bit disappointed themselves, particularly I think Trayvon Diggs is he's improving. He's definitely better than he was last year, but he has a lot to learn. He still tends, I think, to try for the big play rather than the safe bet. He's the guy who will go for the interception rather than just do the smart kind of shutdown thing. And he got burnt a bit on the Devontae Smith touchdown for that. So, I mean, Micah Parsons had a quite enough game, but got, got pretty good in fourth quarter. So... The, the Cowboys can be happy with how they did offensively, less happy with how they did defensively. Probably the same with the Eagles, um, albeit the, the, the asterisks of not having Hurts there. But yeah, we didn't really learn about how good, how good these teams are going to be against each other in, in the postseason. But, but I think both sides can be happy about where they are in terms of the quality. And now it's just kind of getting to the playoffs, getting good seeding. Um, for the Eagles especially, kind of they blew their chance to get number one seeding here. They, they have a few more shots at it because I, I got... God damn it, if the Minnesota Vikings end up being the number one seed, I would be the maddest person uh, in the world. But uh, yeah, not an awful lot to learn in terms of postseason, just a good game to enjoy between two good teams. Yeah, and for me, I think what you see with Minshew is the problem that we saw in the playoffs last year when Hurts was hurt, which was when, which is that when you take away the, the rush threat from the QB, you take what's one of the best offenses in the league and you turn it into a solid, but not, you know, top of the league type offense like you you saw Minshew who's not afraid of scrambling around and maybe going for the rush that just nowhere he doesn't have the same speed he didn't have the same decisiveness and that the Dallas defense was ready for it and they were able to react more than enough time to stop him making any big plays uh, with his feet so that's just a huge and once you take away that factor and Dallas also did a good job of taking away the traditional run game I think uh, Miles Sanders had only around three yards of carry in this game then you know it all came down to the pass game and to be fair for certainly for the first half and maybe even the third quarter Philly's pass game was still working effectively as Sean referenced there there was a big there was a big throws to AJ Brown some big throws to Devonta Smith um, Devonta Smith had a brilliant game by the way he was just like uh, there was one catch in particular where he climbed the ladder as it were and it was just you know the guy you know everyone makes fun of him because he's just a tiny little guy but the guy can play there's no doubt about that and AJ Brown was was yeah was getting the best of Trayvon Diggs a few times early in this game so you know I, I think 
I wouldn't be concerned overall because that passing game is so much better than it was last year, but it's still not the same offense without that. And Dallas, look, I think the defense, you know, they probably won't be happy by giving up all these yards and stuff like that, but, you know, they made the clutch plays when it mattered, and I think that's the kind of thing that you want to see your defense doing. If you can get five turnovers in a game, you can be pretty happy, regardless of whether you got, like, zero sacks, whatever like that. So I think, you know, if I'm a Dallas fan, I think getting a win like this is really important even though it probably won't make that much of a difference in terms of your playoff uh seating in the end but you know i think it's let's set that a marker and just get you back on track of what as sean said has been a couple of bad weeks and just see the defense be clutch to see dak have a good game hopefully this is the impetus they need to get back into form and be ready for the playoffs when they come yeah yeah next up we have green bay at miami 26 to 20 there's a bit of a mistake written second half for miami they got uh zero points after kind of picking up three interceptions out of missed field goal like you know, Tua started off well. There's some very exciting plays. So Tua went over 300 yards. He had a touchdown, three interceptions. Uh, he had this. There was, there was one play in particular to Waddle where Waddle catches it, kind of gets around a guy. Hill disappears into the background and then kind of speeds up and blocks him for the whole run in. And it was a lovely. It was I think it was about an 85 yard play. And you saw it, and you kind of went, "Ooh, this game is starting quick. This game is going to be high scoring." And for the first probably 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes it was, and then it just kind of went very 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 quiet waddle kind of had 143 overall and touchdown hill had just over 100 and then kind of disappeared into the ether green bay as we said this was going to be an interesting game because they had to come out firing they're hoping and quite quite successfully pushing themselves in towards wildcard contention um so they had five fourth down attempts they had a fake punt in this uh rogers had 230 yards touchdown interception and kind of had good i'd i'd, I'd Got good work done against what is normally a fairly all right Miami defense, particularly given, you know, he lost Christian Watson early on to uh, kind of a, I don't think it was a concussion, so I don't think he's in a concussion protocol, but some kind of injury that has him kind of questionable, but likely to play this week. Um, Yeah, it's, this Miami team is kind of weird because there's moments, like I said, like the opening 10 minutes of this game, I went, oh, Miami are here, they're ready to go, they're ready to get back to where they were beforehand. This is kind of like what we saw them against the Bills, they're exciting. Green Bay better be ready to start scoring points. And then after two, maybe three drives, it just kind of started to fall apart and just was going nowhere and Green Bay were able to kind of work their way back in. There were still some exciting plays, good special teams work and stuff, but like, yeah, it it feels that kind of like, you know, the kind of like the, the 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 trope of the prize fighter who's very very good but as soon as they take a punch they don't really know what's happening because they're used to just knocking the guy down in one um there's a little bit of that about this miami team of one if you find a team that's happy to take a few punches and then go the distance with them they don't feel like a team that goes the distance yeah like i think green bay pulled out everything here and obviously they were very aggressive here as you mentioned they went went for fourth down five times they had the fake punt they were trying everything that they could to do this but yet still late in the second half of this game they were 10 points down it was 20 to 10 and it looked like Miami's you know difference in quality was going to show true I think they're just overall a more talented team 
particularly on the offense, but even on defense, they're probably a little bit better despite you know Green because Green Bay's defense has been a bit of a disappointment this year. So you're kind of going twenty to ten. It looks like it's gonna be easy enough win, and then just things started falling apart at the end of the second half. You had a fumble from Raheem Mostert that gave Green Bay a late field goal in the first half, and then the second half was just an absolute shit show for Miami. And of course, as we kind of referenced earlier, you know maybe there's a context here that the play that people think that Tua picked up as concussion was in that late in that half. Sorry, late in that first half, and maybe that's part of the reason why the offense fell apart. Like he just wasn't there in any sense. And obviously, if he's in concussion protocol now, then that means that he obviously was suffering uh, to some extent. But even given that, it's just absolutely terrible. Like they have the midfield goal to start after Green Bay get the touchdown to tie the game up, and then it's like. You know, even though Green Bay weren't even that good in the second half after that touchdown, got two field goals. They also threw an interception, but like, you know, interception, interception, and then interception. That's what you saw from Miami, and it's just like, it felt like they were giving Green Bay every single chance that they could let them win this game because Green Bay, like, fair play to Aaron Rodgers, like he had a solid game despite the fact that you mentioned Christian Watson was out early, and he's relying on guys like Lazard and Dubs and and Mercedes Lewis who got the touchdown for them to kind of fill in the gaps. Like this is not. A elite offense by any stretch, and it's going to be tough for them to grind out the wins going forward, especially when the run game was mostly held in check here, around four yards, like under uh, four yards to carry. So, you know, you have concerns here by Green Bay. Can they really keep getting wins this way? But, you know, the important thing is that in a close game, in a clutch game, that they were able to do just enough, and that if, you know, it had like like Miami had got a touchdown late, maybe they'd be able to set up another field goal and stuff like that. So, you know, I think for Miami, it's much more of a concern because this is a team that obviously has at times looked like one of the best teams in the league. Uh, but every once in a while, they just seem to have runs of games where they turn into a bad team. There's no other way of saying it. They turn into a bad team. In this game, they were both in the same game. So I'd have major concerns if I was a Miami fan, especially now that you're really in the middle of the uh, wildcard morass and when you really didn't have any right to be in there you should be in the playoffs for IMO uh, but you know you know, you just have to you know this is important now you have two divisional games coming up you got to show that you got what you what you, ha- what you need to get through this uh, but yeah the two situation huge concern there the defense not really living up to its reputation huge concerns there but uh, as long as you have Waddle and Hill I'd still give them you know a fighter's chance of making it to the playoffs despite all these failures. Yeah, I I mostly agree with with what what Ronan is saying there. I mean, the the Dolphins are, they're a fascinating team in the sense that, as I talked about last week, they're very streaky. They've been, they've been on winning streaks that have gone for five weeks this this season, but now they're on this kind of four game losing streak, and it kind of feels like it's all falling apart. Um, it it felt like they were making improvements, especially offensively, early in this game. I mean, the 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 basic narrative is that the 49ers gave the league a template for how to deal with the, the Tua Waddle Hill thing to take away the middle and to and to force Tua to, to make more more uh, dangerous and risky throws. But it kind of felt they were starting to figure it out that the Tua started off quite well, even though they're they're still too reliant on the big play that they don't do an awful lot of kind of you know normal kind of chunk plays that they just kind of it's always about where to find the long play to to Hill uh, uh, or, or to Waddle. They have been developing the run game with, with Mostert. He, I think he's going to be a big part of any playoff success that they have. It all seemed to be coming together. Then, But then they had the Mostert fumble, which kind of flipped the momentum, and they didn't score any points after that. Then Tua, possibly concussion-related, possibly not, kind of fell apart. They made it, The first throw was just a terrible read. The second throw, second intercept, the first interception was a terrible read. The second interception was complete miscommunication with Mostert. These are things that you'd, you'd worry about that. 
these don't seem all that much like football mistakes as much as they may be just mental mistakes for somebody not playing at the high level. And maybe they do need to look at the concussion protocol if someone with a history of concussion like Tua is still playing an entire half when he seems to be affected, then, then obviously that needs to be tweaked a little bit more. So their season is starting to, to leak away from them a little bit. They've got kind of two tough games to finish it off. They're, they're not going to have it all their own way. They've they got the Jets and the, and the Pats, two teams that know them well in the stretch, and they probably need to win both of them to make the playoffs. And it, it kind of feels like a very talented team may end up missing out here simply because they, they, they don't seem to be able to play in the cold weather or the, the weather turns sufficiently uh, cold. They don't seem to, to, to be all that good. So uh, with the Dolphins, yeah, it, it feels like it's it's not quite there at the moment and it's not quite clear how they're going to put it all together, especially if, if two is not in, in great uh, shape uh, concussion-wise. In terms of the Packers, I, I really I really hoped we'd been finished talking about this team because they're not all that good at a team, but they seem to be doing that Packers thing where they're building momentum late in the season and it's all starting to fall in place at the right time. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, it still feels like he's off his game. It feels like he's not as good as he used to be. And it feels like, yes, he doesn't have the same receivers as, as he's had in the past, but also there's just, he's making mistakes he didn't used to make. He's missing throws he didn't used to make in the past. There's occasional sparks of magic, but the overall quality has declined. That said, the wide receivers seem to be getting better. Lazard is easing into his role of increased responsibility, albeit he had a couple of bad missed drop throws here. Christian Watson seems to be developing, although he seems to be injured now. Rogers is starting to learn who he can trust, um, but it's still not quite as it was in the past few seasons. They don't feel like they were the same team that they were two or three years ago. The defense has gotten better as the game went on. The defense is starting to live a little, a little up a little bit of the early season hype but still not there the Packers don't feel like a team I want to see in the playoffs because they don't feel all that exciting if it comes down to choosing between the Packers and say the Lions I'd much rather see the Lions in the playoffs but the Packers do have that experience they do have that big game mentality they do have Aaron Rodgers they do have this feeling that it's all starting to slot into play so maybe they are going to end up being the seventh seed and they might shake things up a little bit in the playoffs but I would much rather watch an exciting young team like the Lions and watching this very obvious team in decline, continue to be in decline, albeit at a slower pace than maybe that we thought. Yeah. Um, next up, we'll look at Cincinnati, New England, another uh, AFC East team trying to hoping to get itself into contention. Cincinnati kind of pull it out at the end, 22-18, to 18, as New England choke away with a Stevenson fumble. Uh, it just allows Cincinnati to just eat out the clock and, and finish it out. And what was... I know the, the, old, the old adage game of two halves thing, but it was like this was a game that was 22 to nothing at halftime. And like it seemed like there was just the Cincinnati Bengals were doing what they wanted. There was nothing coming from New England. And then they came out in the second half. Mac improved, went for 240 and uh, two touchdowns. Like the defense, which had just allowed Cincinnati to eat in the first half, came out and said, No, no more scoring for you, Burrow and friends. You're not getting anywhere. It was interesting because like even even in the success that new england were fighting in the second half i was still struggling somewhat with the play calling decisions i think it's a little bit shaky i don't know if it's just that they're going entirely around uh around like playing around mac or what it is but like it feels like they were doing more with mac last year than they are this year which i don't like the other thing that i found was a bit weird was like so the Bengals kind of went into messiness in the second half so obviously they had an interception they had a fumble but it was then fumbled back so it kind of balances out a little bit but like 
they couldn't because they have an okay to good level of run play. They've got a halfway decent line now. So how they weren't able to just eke out a little bit more in the second half was weird to me. So like their first, so we'll just go through like their possessions in the sec in the second half. Six plays punt. Six plays, thirty three yards punt. Five plays, thirteen yards interception. Three plays, five yards punt. Eight plays, forty eight yards missed field goal. That was the first halfway decent one. Next is five plays, eighteen yards fumble. Three plays, two yards punt, and then it's just end of game. Like they did nothing, nothing at all in the second half, having basically had their way in the first half, and. I can't. I. I don't think we can put that all on the defense because yes, the the, uh, the 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 New England defense stepped up here, uh, Sean. But like, is this the Bengals kind of going right? Shut it down. Let's not show anything. We're going into the playoffs. Kind of Andy reading themselves or like because it seems confusing to me to just not be able to knock out a second field goal or even just a sustained drive in that second half. You know. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation, and this was was quite a strange game because of it. The Bengals are at their best; they're they're one of the best teams in the league offensively, unstoppable when Burrow is is in the in the zone and when he's when he's cooking. I mean, early on this game, they were murdering what is a pretty damn good Pats defense. They 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 just kind of murdered pass games. Burrow was spreading passes all over the place. It was looking so great, and then it just kind of stopped. And this isn't the first time this season has happened. We, you just have to think about last week against the Bucks, where they didn't turn up for the first half. They do have the tendency to blow very hot and cold, and it's not quite clear why that is. It do, is it complacency? Is it a, is it a, is it a, because they're a momentum team and they really need the vibes to get going? That the it's just it's not. There's no. There's an element of inconsistency to the Bengals' offensive play that would worry you as a as a Bengals fan getting into, say, the, the playoffs when they start to play good teams because they're going to be going up. If they want to make the Super Bowl run again, and I, and I would say I do think it's a little bit unlikely they'll repeat that, they're going to have to get overcome teams like the Bills and the Chiefs, teams that are able to be consistent and, and you know, bang out 35 points in a game by, by just going down the field every single drive. It's The Bengals, they need to stop turning off like this and letting teams back in this game because they were so much better than the Pats in the first half. It, mm. It's almost inconceivable that the Pats almost won this game, and yet they almost did. While not looking all that impressive, yes, the, the defense for the Pats is, you know, it's top 10, possibly top 5. It looks one of, like one of the best defenses Belichick has put together, given that the, the the quality of players he had at his disposal, aside from Matt Judon, there's not an awful lot of superstars on in that defense, but they look like a really good team. And it took them a little while to turn up here. They, they were, weren't all that good in the first half, but they made some adjustments and got it going in the second half. But the problem is the offense for the Pats. The, the offense is just, it's, terrible it is a and it's going to be a huge problem for them in, in in playoff games against teams that know how to defend well because this this is a team that doesn't do an awful lot of things well and just kind of grinds it out the 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 big up uptick maybe or the, the upside the potential is they were starting to maybe a little bit figure out what they're doing in the passing game Kendrick Bourne had a big game and Pats fans have been saying all year that he's been underutilized and he should be used more and maybe they're starting finally to figure out that he's the guy to, to go to. But it's week 16. You shouldn't be figuring this kind of stuff out in week 16 or still trying to figure this kind of stuff out in week 16. And yet they were the Bengals allowed them to grind it out. The Bengals allowed them to to have their you know their 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 touchdowns and, and their field goals 
to pull this game back and almost steal it. And that would be a worry from the Bengals' perspective that this was a game they were so much clearly better at than, but they didn't shut down terribly. So this was, it was very much a game of two halves and it's very difficult to analyze because it's not entirely clear what happened at halftime to make one team terrible and their team a little bit better than they were beforehand, but it was. Uh, the the Pats probably not going to make the playoffs because they, they have a quite a tough schedule to finish off mm. and they're just not good enough. The Bengals are definitely going to be there, but they have to be much, much better than that if they want to make any kind of progress in the postseason. Yeah, no, no, that seems fair. Uh, Giants at Minnesota, 24-27. to 27, uh, the, <laughs> Joseph has to hit a 61-yard field goal to give Minnesota another close and tense win. This is a game that we said, look, lads, just, just win one that's a little bit less fucking stressed. Like, win one that kind of makes us go, okay, yeah, no, you're good. But no, again, takes absolutely everything going right for them to, to do it. Um, yeah, look, Cousins gets his 299 yards and three touchdowns, looks efficient. Jefferson went to 133 and a touchdown. Hawkinson had two touchdowns, 109 yards. That's a hell of a pickup they made mid-season to pick him up because he's really slotted into that well. Um, but, like... You know, on the other side, Danny Dimes had a good day, went over 300 and a touchdown and interception. Their defense did well. They got four sacks. Like, it was just... There was a little bit of both of these teams are okay. Like, both of them are decent, but neither of them are killer. Like, no one pulled away and made a giant move back. No one really stood out. Like, obviously, Hawkinson had a big day overall and Jefferson always looks great, but as in, like... No one kind of, no team kind of went, oh, I'm much better. And it took a very specific set of circumstances for, you know, for the other guys to even be in this. Like there was no scoring until I think was like halfway through the first or something along those lines. Like it didn't get out of hand. Everyone was within one score of each other, even at the tail end. And like the fact that you have to wheel out a 61 yard field goal to try and close out the game. The New York Giants are potentially a playoff team. They are not a competitor. The Vikings are a playoff team. And performances like this in the last couple of weeks, and I know we keep stressing this, they're not a competitor. We say for every other team, and I do think listeners might be correct saying we sound a bit unfair because quite often we'll say, look, the thing that championship teams do and the thing that these good teams do is look they win doesn't matter if it's a shitty win but they'll make sure they win these close games and i said that's fine the difference between a championship team and a team that happens to just get lucky and win every single score game that they're in is that the minnesota vikings have not at any point made me think god i'd be afraid to play them god they're great in this one god them winning scraping everything together to win by a single score is an exception rather than the rule because the rule here is that they play people close and they get fucking lucky because they've been unlucky other times and if you were to just flip a coin on every one score game which is probably closer to what the distribution should be they're not a 12 win team yeah if you're 11 and 0 on your kind of one one position games that's yeah. usually a sign that you've had some fortune going your way and i think you know to be honest the, the big reason that we probably don't like them above and beyond that is that in the games where they have lost they've got absolutely their asses kicked yeah uh, by the eagles cowboys and lions respectively uh so it's not it's you know when you combine all these close wins with those catastrophic losses against probably the best teams on your schedule that gives you a sense of why there's not that much faith in this minnesota team despite obviously the very effective record that they have uh, i think the re but like you know like one thing that they have they do have extreme talent 
on the offense. Like Kirk Cousins, whatever. Like he's not the best quarterback in the league, mm. but he's like you know maybe around the 16th best quarterback, maybe a little bit more depending on how good the quarterbacks are in any given time. But he has Justin Jefferson, T.J. Hawkinson's really come on quite quickly as the tight end one there. Um, and you know K.J. Osborne didn't do much in this game. He's been solid as a, a wide receiver too. And Adam Thielen's still around there, so you never know what will come up if teams choose to basically sell out to stop guys like Jefferson, Hawkinson, and Dalvin Cook um, as the season goes on, well uh, towards the playoffs certainly. Um, so they have you know when you have that much talent on offense, you know the rest of it doesn't really matter to some extent you should be competitive against except for against teams who have really really good defenses and i think that's what we've kind of seen in those losses that they've had like when you had defenses like dallas or philly which uh, were very good uh, which are very good depending where you are in the season um that it really shows up but you know i think the biggest problem for this minnesota team is that their defense is still kind of bad like look you know yes they did enough here to win the game and they got a couple of turnovers uh but the reality is is that this is daniel jones playing with a combination of richie james and Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton and they're all going over 80 yards uh, and such and like you know you know this is not a pass game that's supposed to be effective and yet Daniel Jones is have nearly 340 yards that's quite an unusual situation to see occur um I think the other big positive for the Giants as they try and secure a playoff spot I think they only need one more win down the stretch is that Saquon Barkley had a good game uh, he had over 100 yards here uh, all purpose um so I think to see a situation where he is actually getting back into form. That's kind of the X factor they've been missing through their mid-season swoon. If they can get Saquon Barkley going again, and Daniel Jones could just avoid making mistakes, um, or at least more mistakes, then I think they should be competitive enough to get another win and possibly get um, get into the playoffs. But like as you said, they're not really a team that I'm excited to see in the playoffs. But you know, given the level of competition around them, except for maybe the Lions, there's not that many others that I that are, are like that much more worthy in my opinion yeah. um so for the for the giants like they're a solid team fair play to them obviously they're they have a long way to go in terms of personnel and talent uh, in, in seasons to come but to see dayball put together a fighting team in year one is a big positive for them as they go forward and you know whether they can do something in the playoffs or not we'll see but uh you know unlike the vikings they you know they, they're very much outplaying their talent level and fair play to them yeah. Next up, Jacksonville at Jets, 19-3. to Jacksonville take control of their playoff chances as Lawrence goes for 280 yards. Touchdown and a fumble with a nice little bit of running gun in the side as well. I think he had about 50 yards. Um, yeah, Zach Wilson, I'd say this is the last time he's ever going to play in the green and white, uh, unless there's some Canadian League team that plays in those colours as well. He uh 92 yards on 18 attempts for an interception. And no touchdowns. He was getting booed off the field and was replaced in the third quarter by practice squatter um, Streveler. What's it? Is it Chris Streveler? Yeah, Chris Streveler, who, you know, didn't blow the socks off, but didn't make the same mistakes. He had a 66% completion rate. Also went for 90 yards, a little bit more average per, per, per throw and that kind of stuff. Didn't take any sacks, as Wilson also took a feed of sacks in this game. Um, and Streveler also had the addition of he, he has a little bit on the ground as well. So I think he had about 50 yards on the ground too so not dissimilar to what Lawrence I think had put up uh, in, in that one as well basically look the Jacksonville defense made Wilson's last game here a bit of a nightmare interception fumble three sacks eight tackles for a loss held them to about 250 yards like they were pretty much dominant throughout as we said they were the unit that we thought would be the most dominant in this one I don't think we thought that they would hold them to three points thought maybe some of the talent would show out around that but uh but but no dice uh for Jacksonville this obviously gives them a good shot at the at, well not just at a wild card but also I think they've got they're almost certainly going to have a week 
week 18 showdown for the for the their division which we can kind of talk about uh, after we finish up the previews but yeah like overall it was okay they weren't getting the pr- production out of the defense you would have wanted but like I think I think the thing to remember as always is that this Jets team even though it's only seven wins and even though they only put up three points and they looked fairly dismal at times this is an, an elite championship level defense that we're talking about here and even though they let some bits go on them today this is still top end defense so this is a very good sign very positive for Lawrence who I also thought while not blowing my socks off showed a lot more of the consistency Sean that I've complained about before and I've often said he'll show up for a quarter and that'll sometimes be enough for them but this one he was a bit more consistent um albeit against a very stingy defense yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that the Lawrence, the Lawrence is probably the best, the best storyline to come out of this game. I mean, the 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 bounce that he's given this team is real. He's he's improving in almost every facet of his game. That his timing is better. His his vision is better. He's reading the field so much better than he used to. His his just his mechanics of his throwing is so much better. I mean, hats off to Doug Pedersen. Obviously, the his time at the Eagles ended quite unspectacularly, but he definitely is a good coach, and this is kind of demonstration of that and and a condemnation i guess of urban meyer that he that he couldn't get more out of lawrence than he did oh lawrence he's got to cut out the fumbling it's it's a big problem he almost cost the team a touchdown in this game because he fumbled on the goal line and he also gave away a turnover earlier that's the big that's a big kind of red mark on his on his game at the moment apart from that he's he's turning into the player that everyone kind of thought he would eventually uh, become Otherwise, I mean the the Jags definitely need to to be given credit where it's due. They, you know the offense isn't explosive. It, it's not going to score thirty five points a game, even against a defense that's not as quite as good as the Jets. But they they they're functional and efficient. They keep the chains moving. They get the they get the ball down. Um, they've got some good pieces. I mean, you wouldn't think a, a kind of a receiving core of Zay Jones and Christian Kirk and Evan Engram would be would be this good. And maybe it's Lawrence makes them look good. But they're definitely kind of gelling t- together well and making some good plays. Engram in particular, his evolution as a tight end this season is another kind of hats off to the, to the coaching team. I just wish I, I kept him on my fantasy <laughs> team as opposed to on my fantasy bench because, uh, yeah, he's scored a lot of points for my bench this season, but not enough uh, otherwise. Uh, on the dif- on defensive side, they've obviously only given away three points is, is, a, is a good sign. There are a lot of good pressures. They completely threw Zach Wilson off his game. Less effective that they shut down the, the running game, but much less effectively when Strevler came on. You'd be worried that a practice squad QB could, could you know, get that much hay against them. But um, although, I mean, you can't complain too much when you only concede three points. So the Jags, definitely live. They, ha- I think they're guaranteed their Week 18 game against the Titans, no matter what happens in Week 17. Their Week 18 game is is for the for the championship yeah. and for a team. <laughs> Following what we'll talk about in a second, the, the Titans shit in the bed against the Texans, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, for a team that were the, where they were at the end of last season to now be in line to win their division is, I mean, it's a real credit to that turnaround. For the Jets, yeah, end of the Zach Wilson era. I mean, it's not just the mistakes, although he does make a lot of mistakes. It's just very basic stuff, like he was completely had miscommunications with wide receivers over which routes were being run and such like, and you, you just can't do that, right? You just no. can't play that way. Their teams were using this, the Jags is the same strategy that was being used against Jets before when Zach Wilson is playing. You, you take out the run, you concentrate entirely on taking out the run game, and you force Wilson to make decisions and mistakes. And maybe that's why Strebler was so effective, because he brought a new 
dimension to the run game that the Jags hadn't prepared for. But it's not a good sign for Zach Wilson when you turn out you're the fourth best quarterback on this team at which you started the season as the QB one. I don't know. I don't uh, know. Right? Do 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 we still reckon Flacco's above him? Well, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I I think he's probably above Zach Wilson at the very least. Mm, uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Mike White is is the the only answer this team I think has mm. going forward. And on the defensive side, uh, as you said, completely elite. I'm really loving at the moment the secondary play. I think Reed and Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner, have a really good combo going uh, at cornerback. Um, they have some, they have a great some great years ahead of them. Um, definitely, this is really exciting what's happening on the defensive side. But as we've been saying for 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 weeks and weeks and weeks, if the Jets can just fix their quarterback problem, they'll be a very very good team in the future. But it doesn't look like that they have the answer this season. So for the Jets, yeah, it's thinking about next season before the Jags it's it's all about the now and, and what Lawrence can make this team do yeah yeah and uh, next up then we'll have a look at um, why the Jacksonville Jaguars are quite so live Houston at the Tennessee Titans 19 to 14 hang your heads in shame um, yeah this was you know Tennessee continuing to absolutely crumble um, the the, the potential future that they have with Willis is very much a bleak, bleak, bleak pi- picture that they're being painted. He went for 142 yards, a touchdown and two interceptions. Uh, he struggles very badly with the two interceptions coming at the end of the game when they're trying to get it. Henry had his over 100 yards. He got 125 yards of the touchdown, but also fumbles like they had an absolutely brutal second half in terms of ball control here and Houston were coming back Mills didn't do great like he struggled he had 178 yards and touched an interception but like you know he got the job done when they needed to get the job done they took their field goals when they needed to take their field goals and they kept going on as Houston basically shot themselves in the foot like if you look at the second quarter right so this is if we think Tennessee Titans at the heart of them we say run hard team that will you know can always get itself two yards in a cloud of dust so like you know you kind of have you you have to play them tough right they have a touchdown to for the for, for the first drive then they turn it over on downs after a four play two yard drive <laughs> they punt it after a three play nine yard drive Henry fumbles it after a five-play drive. They put it after a three-play 12-yard drive. Then they throw an interception, and then they throw another interception, and the game's over. Like, it is atrocious, absolute shite. I would be looking for refunds if I paid for tickets to go and see that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't because I wouldn't go and see the fucking Titans because they're awful, and I've been on this train for far too long at this point. They get worse when Tannehill's not there, but he's not a huge step up when he is there. Um... Yeah, this is Tennessee Titans are crumbling. Everything around them is crumbling, and the the sand upon which they have built their house is is, is coming home to roost. This is a teardown because they don't have an heir apparent at quarterback. They have Derrick Henry, who is not as effective, starting to have fumble issues. Will be a year older and more tread gone in the tires. Like they've gotten rid of their wide receiver one, they're not getting the performance. This is this is a crumbling. I suppose a crumbling relic that never actually won a championship, and then. This is a Houston team that, you know, Scrappy took their opportunities, have looked a little bit better the last couple of weeks, and their head coach is probably making a case for, look what I can get out of this basically bag of shit. How about you give me some players and see what I can do next year? Um, Yeah, like, this is terrible from Tennessee. This is good from Houston. And, yeah, I just... I, I, I'm, I'm happy as soon as Tennessee can get knocked out in Week 18 and maybe we don't have to talk about them anymore. Yeah, like this is a team that's obviously in win now mode and is collapsing down the stretch. 
This is win now? <laughs> well, the, the, this is a team that's been in win now mode for multiple years, right? Tennessee are a yeah, veteran squad. Know, they don't have much coming through in terms of young talent. And obviously one of the young talents that they thought might be a building block, Willie Willis, has looked pretty terrible in his few cameos he's made this season. And, you know, his other one of his other games this season was against the Texans. But in that game when they won, you know, Derrick Henry went for over 200 yards and that all worked fairly well. Whereas in this game, like Derrick Henry had one early touchdown, uh, 48 yard uh, touchdown run. But outside that, I think he was averaging less than four yards a carry. And that gives you an indication of why this offense was so incapable of doing anything in the second half of this game. It just it didn't have anything going here. They don't have anything really too exciting at receiver. I think like Robert Woods is like okay-ish. Uh, Traylon Burks isn't making any making any making any impact. You know, so it really was just hey, Derrick Henry, win us this game and. You know, while Derrick Henry is still a really good player, I don't know, you know, he probably has lost a step. And as you mentioned in recent weeks, he's now started adding in that fumbling issue. I don't know if that's just getting worn down by having such a big play, uh, play load this season or whether that's just uh, you know, bad luck. But it's certainly not something that this team can afford because it's a team that can only really win games where they, like, you know, the other team scores maybe like 14 points or so each game. So it's really tough situation for the them to be in and like their defense is still solid like I think you know really there was only two drives in this game where Houston looked in any way effective on the on the on the offensive side but that in this game turned out to be more than enough because the Titans offense is just so so bad so like Malik Willis incredibly raw we'll see if he can get better overcoming but I think Tannehill if he's back next year is still probably the better option but that's you know damning with faint praise I suppose and Derrick Henry yeah like you know how long can this keep going we will definitely see as for the Texans, like, look, as I said, the offense wasn't exactly spectacular, but hey, your top receiver is Philip Dorsett, so I, I don't know what you're expecting, really. But Davis Mills, he put together one really good touchdown drive uh, when the game was on the line late in this game, and that's probably as much as you can expect from Davis Mills these days. And they've kind of slowed down in having the uh, Jeff Driscoll, you know, uh, run QB stuff, so that's kind of nice for them. But, you know, given this, the offense it really has zero talents. Basically, although Brandon Cooks came in and had a touchdown, so that's nice, I suppose. That'll increase his trade value in the offseason. Uh, but, you know, they don't have uh, any running back because Damian Pierce is out. They don't have any receivers. They don't really have any tight ends. It's like it's a miracle that they can do anything. Um, but thankfully, they did it. And the defense, to be fair, against a bad offense, four sacks, eight tackles for a loss, a few turnovers. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you need if you're going to win a game like this. And, you know, the Texans, they kept the Cowboys close. They kept the Chiefs close. They seem to be fighting for Lovey Smith down the stretch. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I think the number one pick is still safe for them. But, you know, I think this is the kind of performance that at least will give them a chance of, you know, keeping the same coaching and seeing what they can do next year. Because, you know, uh, it's obviously been a really hard and tough year. But given the lack of talent uh, and given Lovey Smith's CV as, as a successful coach in previous 10 years, uh, you know, I think it's worth giving him another shot uh, and, and trying this out. But, you know, given where this franchise is, I wouldn't be surprised if they move on anyway. But, you know, a positive win after a few, you know, heartbreaking losses. Um, they can certainly take going forward. I suppose, as we say, all games are important. Some are just less important. Uh, but Fitz likes those ones, so we give them to him on the dump off. So uh, take it away, Fitz. Yeah, so uh, obviously a lot less relevant teams as we go down the stretch. We'll start with some close games that had some playoff relevance, move into the blowouts with rele- playoff relevance, and then some games that didn't matter at all. Uh, so starting with Tampa Bay at Arizona, 19-16, Brady... Once again, has to come in late and do some good play after having a bad start to the game. We've seen this a few times already. He had finished up with 281 touchdown, two interceptions, but that touchdown came late. Uh, they also set up two field goals, one 
uh, to make the tie and one to get the win in overtime. Uh, but overall, over, you know, basically we have a situation here where they had to overhaul a 10-point deficit um, and get that field goal in overtime to win this game. And you know, considering that you're play, face, you know, playing Trace McSorley, who to be fair actually had an okay game, but unfortunately he had a really bad fumble on a pitch play uh, to the running back, you had Ingram. Um, you know, that's probably not a great position for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be in, but hey, you got the win, you stay in t technically in control of the NFC side and you can move on. As for Arizona, like I think, you know, at least this wasn't a disaster, you didn't get blown out, but you know, this is a situation, a team and a coaching staff and just a tenure that's coming to a very quick end and with, you know, Kyler Murray unlikely to be available towards the start of next season. I don't know where the team is going, but you know, at least they're still fighting and they're still doing stuff here against a up and down Tampa Bay team, but getting a loss like this is going to hurt just more because of that. Uh, so Tampa Bay, you know, they can still win games. We'll see if they can get enough wins to, to secure the NFC South by the end. Next up, New Orleans at Cleveland, 17 to 10. New Orleans defense does most of the work here in tough, cold conditions. They had uh, an interception, two turnovers and downs, two sacks, six sacks for loss. They only allowed around 250 yards um, with zero points allowed in the second half as Watson for Cleveland is just bad. There's no other way of saying it. Like, I get it. He hasn't played for two years. He's only three weeks into his return this season, but he's just bad. And the entire offense is bad alongside him. Uh, and, like, you know, he has been unlucky to some extent. So, uh, there was, like, a one play where he was, like, doing classic Deshaun Watson stuff and scrambling inside the pocket and then threw it directly to Mary Cooper, who dropped it. But, you know, even outside of those kind of moments, it's still just overall completely inconsistent. And this is happening now with Nick Chubb getting into some kind of form. He had over 100 yards all-purpose here so just some major question marks for this team but i suppose we'll have to see a full off-season with the watson stuff to fully get a read on, on how bad this could be uh, although you know he's probably helped by the fact that it will only ever be the second worst trade in that off-season in terms of uh, performance on the field um as for the warren's offense it existed i suppose uh, dalton had less than 100 yards and he had an interception but you know this offense has not run through dalton for a while now kamara had a good game which is good to see 120 yards and touchdown and they still have the occasional takes the pill bullshit magic uh, 56 yards and touchdown for him uh, but really they have no consistent normal offense outside of, uh, of, of Kamara so you know big questions of whether they're really relevant but they are technically still alive the NFC South so I suppose they'll take that for now next up Atlanta Baltimore 9-17 Baltimore really just grind their way to a victory here Huntley was okay 141 yards and touchdown no turnovers uh, but he was really complimenting the run game as the Ghost Boss had a 99 yards, Dobbins had 60 yards. You know, they just were doing pretty well and the defense was mostly getting the better of this, you know, very nascent Atlanta offense. They had a fumble, two sacks, three tackles for a loss, they, and not very many yards allowed. Uh, this Atlanta offense is still pretty inefficient as Ritter was better than last week. He had 218 yards and no turnovers, but it's still very inefficient. He's still very raw. He still makes bad reads, but, you know, I think the only positive for them is that he has a good connection with Drake London already, who had nearly 100 yards, and that's a positive going forward, but you know, the play calling from Arthur Smith since Ritter's come in has been pretty poor. I think he probably needs to consider, you know, you know, how do I get the best out of this quarterback? Uh, maybe getting more out, in the pocket, out of the pocket, or, or like re, re, play, uh, play action and stuff like that, uh, but for now, you know, at least London Ritter's working. We'll see what they can build in the offseason. Next up, uh, Vegas to Pittsburgh, 10 to 13. Pittsburgh, you know, very much played homage to the immaculate reception game, which obviously they were uh, with the recent death of uh, Franco Harris. Uh, you know, they were they were obviously had a special poignancy, uh, but this was very much an old school game where you know it came down to one final TD drive, uh, two minute drill, as Pittsburgh just about get it done. As Pickett was solid, 244 yards, a touchdown interception. Fryer moved 66 yards. Uh, Najee Harris, not Franco, obviously, at 95 yards overall. But then that all set up a final touchdown uh, pass to George Pickens. And 
you know, it's just a situation where Pittsburgh weren't good, but they weren't fucking up as much as the Vegas Raiders, who are just fuck up incarnate right now. Um, they will rue so many missed chances. Um, as Carr had three interceptions, Devontae Adams did nothing in this game, literally 15 yards, what the hell's going on there? Uh, but just overall, Vegas are just one of these inexplicably bad teams. You can see the talent on the page, you can occasionally see the talent on, on the screen and on the field, but when the chips are down, they're like the inverse of the Minnesota Vikings, they just find a way to fuck up. And even Jacobs in this game was held to 50 yards, so I don't know what they... They didn't really have much going here. It was tough conditions, admittedly, but just really, really bad overall. Uh, the only positive was probably that Darren Waller's back and he was solid, he had nearly 60 yards. Uh, next up, Detroit to Carolina, 23-37. Really disappointing loss for Detroit as Carolina just bullied them off the field. Like they had over, I think it were 250 yards rushing in the first half to set up a pretty unbeatable lead. Uh, they were 7-31 points up early in the, in the third quarter. Um, but this run game, just like Foreman and Hubbard combined for 290 yards, uh, the rest combined for 30 yards on top of that. It was just... It was just really sad to see if you're a Detroit Lions fan. I think most of us here are, are, are pulling for the Detroit Lions. Um, it was just a situation where, you know, Goff didn't play badly. He had 355 yards, three touchdowns, all which went to the tight end Zilstra. But he just didn't have any chances when the game was on the line. Like, he was just, you know, the, 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 de- the, de- uh, like the defense was just getting, sorry, the offense, yeah, sorry, the defense just couldn't do anything, get anything done against this Carolina rush game, which they've done a few times this year, to be fair, Carolina. Um, and that's surprising because the Detroit, Detroit run game, run rush defense has actually been pretty solid the last few weeks. But, you know, the form book went out here and Carolina did what they do best. And, you know, Darnold played clean up here, 250 yards of touchdown. But, yeah, overall, very disappointing for, for, for Detroit. Carolina have one way to win, but when it works, it works really well. Uh, that keeps them relevant in the NFC South going forward. Next up, Seattle at Kansas City, 10 to 24, a game where Seattle will probably rue some of the missed chances they had down the stretch. They had two turnovers and downs, an interception when the game was on the line in the second half. Uh, but I think, you know, you always thought that if Seattle had converted some of those, the KC would have turned up the heat again and kind of be able to pull away again. Uh, they kind of were, I think, resting on their laurels to a certain extent and letting Seattle beat themselves. Mahomes had another solid game, 232 yards and a touch, three touchdowns. Um, efficient in tough conditions, but you know, nothing spectacular. Uh, Kelsey and Pacheco led the offense with around 100 yards each. Gino, look, he was struggling in, in these tough conditions. 215 yards, a touchdown interception. Obviously, those two doorovers on downs. Um, obviously, no Tyler Lockett for the rest of the season. Um, but at least uh, Walker had a solid game in the run game, 170 yards. But, you know, I think the Seattle team, they've been struggling for many, many weeks now. And they just didn't look like a match, really, for a much better Kansas City team. And, you know, I think even if they made this closer, it wouldn't have been that close in the end, regardless. Uh, so, look, Seattle's still relevant, but I, I don't really see them having a playoff. Uh, chance to be honest myself next up buffalo at chicago 35 to 13 buffalo had some early wobbles here it was 6 to 10 at the half but in the second half uh like buffalo just pulled away allen really made him some secondary which was good like probably good to see if you want to see some additional uh, you know, uh, weapons available to buffalo as he had 172 yards two touchdowns and two interceptions plus 41 and a touchdown rushing uh, but i think what gave them the win here in the second half is that they turned to the run game and it was really, really effective against the bad rush defense. Singletary had 100, over 100 yards and a touchdown. Cook had nearly 100 yards and a touchdown. I think that makes sense because I think Chicago were selling out to stop Buffalo, uh, Buffalo's pass attack. And that meant that the amount of talented defense, they were able to just run over them. And, you know, I think if you're going forward as a Buffalo fan, that's something you definitely want to see more of. Um, on the other hand, for Chicago, 
on their offense they didn't really do much like Fields had a poor game they had 130 yards and a touchdown for Fields and I think the big thing here is that Buffalo were selling out to stop the run game both from him and Montgomery and once you take away the run game from Chicago there's not really much there so you know I think obviously we've seen so many exciting games from Fields with his legs and with, with that type of offense but when you see here a, a team willing to shut that down big question marks over what's going to happen going forward in the future if you don't start investing in this pass game it feels doesn't start to develop as a passer uh, but I suppose in this game they kept it close for a half against one of the best teams in the, in the, in the, in the league uh, so you could take something from that but overall the difference in quality showed out pretty heavily as Buffalo's defense you know sold out and, and beat the run game pretty hard 11 tackles for a loss probably headlining that next up Washington at San Francisco 20-37 uh, a second half surge here from San Francisco where they scored 30 points made this a pretty trivial win uh, in the end, Purdy had another solid game, two touchdowns, 240 yards. He had an interception as well, but that's okay. Um, Kittle has really been his favorite weapon, 120 yards and two touchdowns here again. Um, I think, you know, the other guys like Ayuk are making an influence here, but I think the fact that CMC was mostly kept in check in this game and they still had an effective offense is definitely something that's positive for this team going forward into the playoffs. Um, and they had a couple of nice trick plays for, well, for example, a 71-yard touchdown to McLeod to fill in the gaps. So all pretty solid there. As for Washington, not much great to take away from this game. Heineke had 160 yards and two touchdowns, but really struggling in the second half here. And so badly to be actually putting Carson Wentz, who in garbage time put 122 yards and touchdown. And I think it's just been announced that Wentz will be the starter going forward. I would question the wisdom of that choice, but it's a choice, I suppose. And, you know, for a team that's still very relevant to the playoffs, they just need one win in the last two games to uh, get it done. No, sorry, they, they have the uh, half game advantage in the playoff hunt. You know, that, you know, I. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, we'll see. <laughs> I, I, I we'll see about that, I suppose. But a quarterback controversy at this time of the season, probably not a good sign for a team that's, you know, very much in the playoff hunt uh, going forward. Next up, Chargers in Indianapolis, 20-3 win for Chargers, who secure a playoff spot. Uh, Herbert's now above 500, and, you know, that all sounds good. I'll believe, you know, the reality is that Herbert was pretty middling in this game, 235 yards, two turnovers. Uh, really was Eckler who had two touchdowns and the Chargers defense which did most of the work here uh, Chargers defense had three interceptions seven sacks seven sacks seven tackles for a loss around 200 yards allowed as the big dick nick uh, experiment did not work in week one here he had 142 yards and three interceptions just really bad overall and this Indianapolis team which is just had some really horrible games this season this was very much up there with some of the worst that we've seen from them uh, they have zero pass game and that just means that the fact that they have an okay run game and a solid defense doesn't matter at all in the modern NFL. So, you know, it's a team that has two weeks left to play, but I don't know what they're left playing for. I think Foles is penciled in to start again this week, but I'm not really sure of the wisdom of that, to be honest. But hey, for the Chargers, even though this is one of the worst Chargers teams that we've seen in recent years, I would say, they're in the playoffs, so you could probably take that at least and move forward uh, regardless. And finally, Denver at the Rams, 14-51. to yeah, the Rams absolutely dominate the, the Denver team so much so, as you mentioned Connor earlier, Connor, that they got the coach fired, Hackett. Yep. Um, so, you know, and they scored negative four points, catapulting me. Their defense scored negative four points, catapulting me into our uh, our fantasy football final. Yeah, a lot of people annoyed with the Denver defense in fantasy. Uh, they were <laughs> one so. of the. They were a smashed startup by all accounts, uh, by people who care about this kind of stuff. But yeah, look, the Rams, like you know. Like obviously the Rams were helped out by the Russell Wilson was absolutely terrible here. He had three interceptions and just a bunch. Even the interceptions were bad, but some of his other plays were just equally inexplicable. He just did not seem to know what he was doing at all. And you know the fact that the you know the the backup uh, Ripian was trying to tell the offensive lineman 
to pick him up after he gets sacked and the Limo tell him to fuck off basically yeah. um, <laughs> is probably a sign of where Russell Wilson uh, is held in esteem by that uh, that's by that team at the moment uh, by those players at the moment but like look like the Ferdinand Rams they, they you know, obviously helped by all those turnovers but the offense was pretty effective Akers had over 100 yards and he had three touchdowns Baker had 200 yards and two touchdowns um, I think they were just taking advantage of an imploding team and, and a Denver defense which I think may have just literally given up at this point uh, but you know fair play to them they got a win down the stretch when, when literally they're missing half their team and they before from that Denver this was probably a fitting end to the Italian hacking error let's see if with a new interim head coach whether they pick up a bit and try to save their jobs uh, unfortunately the one player who definitely needs to pick up is the one whose job is probably safest but uh, I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll, they'll learn from that going <laughs> forward alright uh, so that's the dump off for week 16 we'll talk to you next week Okay, so we'll take a quick look just before we get into our previews of what the playoff permutations are. So obviously we're coming down the absolute tail end. We know some of the stuff that's in place. There's a lot of seeding and things like that that are still up for grabs. But there's also a couple of spots completely up for grabs. So we'll start in the AFC. What do we know? Kansas City have won the AFC West. Buffalo have won the AFC East. Cincinnati, Baltimore and the Chargers have all made the playoffs. But in what context, we don't fully know. So what's up for grabs? Uh, the number one seed, we have Buffalo currently holding it at 12-3. and three, And they play at Cincinnati and then they play New England. Kansas City are tied with them at 12-3 and three, and they have Denver and at Las Vegas and Cincinnati are one game back at 11-4 and four, and they're playing Buffalo and Baltimore. So obviously Buffalo hold the number one seed if they win out. Uh, Buffalo and Cincinnati both have head-to-head victories over the Chiefs so if they end up tied on that um, they kind of get it. Basically the route for the Chiefs is to have Cincinnati beat Buffalo this week and the Chiefs win because uh, that would then put Kansas City in control of their own destiny by winning out but basically Kansas City need Buffalo to drop a game Cincinnati need Buffalo to drop a game so unless Buffalo drops a game we know who our number one seed is um Looking at the AFC North, Cincinnati 11-4 playing Buffalo and Baltimore. Baltimore are 10-5, a game back playing Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and at Cincinnati. So Cincinnati can win if they win out. Uh, Baltimore currently ha- have the head-to-head over Cincinnati. The AFC South, Jacksonville, as we mentioned, 7-8 and eight are playing at Houston and then they're playing Tennessee. Tennessee, also on 7-8, and eight, are playing Dallas and then at Jacksonville. So that's 100% coming down to Week 18. There's no bearing. The Week 17 has no bearing on this uh, at, at all. It's all going to come down to their head-to-head game. And then for our wild card, we've got Baltimore, Cincinnati, Baltimore or Cincinnati, whichever one doesn't win the division, uh, is going to take a wild card slot. And the Chargers have taken a wild card spot, which means we get one from either Miami, who are playing at New England and then playing the Jets, New England, who are uh, a game back, but they're playing Miami and at Buffalo. The Jets, who are also at 7-8, at Seattle and at Miami. Or Pittsburgh. Jesus Christ, Pittsburgh are still in this. Uh, at Baltimore and then Cleveland. So, yeah. So, basically, we kind of we, we, we know the majority of where we're at. It's just a question of who's going to get that last wildcard spot. So, we've got Miami, New England, the Jets, and Pittsburgh really kind of hunting for that. And that's where we are, are, are on those. Is there anything you guys want to throw in on that AFC side? Uh, I think the Dolphins are probably pretty strong favorites to take that last spot. Um, it's it's hard to imagine. I mean, the 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 Pats would have to beat the Dolphins and the Bills. The the Jets are looking all over the place, and Pittsburgh basically there's a whole sequence of results that would have to go their way for them to get in because because the Dolphins are playing the Pats and the Jets. That means they're certain number of wins already on the board. So yeah, it's it's the Dolphins got to be the favorites there. Um, 
but the way they're playing, you never know. But, but uh, yeah, so the, I, the, the, the one thing to bear in mind for Buffalo, who are in the hunt for the number one seed, is if they win at Cincinnati this week um, and the Chiefs drop a game, then they definitely can't get caught. So they might then rest starters for the final yeah, week. Yeah. But that's So that's I, I just looked up. it up there. The Steelers are 2%. And so it it is one of those yeah shots very unlikely like, kind of yeah yeah because yeah. um, yeah, yeah, even I at think, that uh, would then come down to to divisional records so they need they need losses from the other teams in a very specific order I think as well yeah I think the Raiders are also technically alive but in the very much like you know the yeah. apocalypse is coming type of situation yeah four planes go down over the weekend wow. <laughs> zero zero point nine percent zero point nine percent so one, one in a hundred shots. There we go. Yeah. But so, so what you're saying is there's a chance. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. We'll move over to the NFC side. What do we know? San Francisco have won the NFC West. Minnesota have won the NFC North. Dallas and Philadelphia are both in the playoffs, but who's going to be there? We don't know. Number one seed, Philadelphia are 13-2 and two with New Orleans and the New York Giants to play. Minnesota are 12-2, and two, one game back with uh, they're traveling to Green Bay and to Chicago. San Francisco are another game back from that, and they're going to Vegas, and then they're playing Arizona. And Dallas are also at 11 and 4, and they're at Tennessee and at Washington. So basically, Philly lock off the number one seed with a win in either of those games. Minnesota loses all tiebreaking scenarios, and uh, San Francisco are above Dallas on conference tiebreakers. So essentially, we would just expect Philly to get this done over the next two weeks. Um, realistically but there are chances for other ones it's just more difficult nfc south my god uh tampa bay new orleans carolina we're all in this together so the tampa bay have a one game advantage but they're playing carolina and at, at atlanta new orleans are one game back there at philly and playing carolina and carolina are at tampa bay and at new orleans so the winner of carolina at tampa bay wins with a week 18 win tampa bay have a head-to-head over new orleans so we would expect basically th- this week is going to be a big one uh because then the week 18 one is, you know, at Carolina or at New Orleans. So, like, basically, there's a whole lot of fecking around here. It feels about right for the NFC South, given how it's played this year. But, yeah, we've kind of got them all in and around there. But a huge game this week with the Carolina-Tampa Bay one happening. NFC East, Philly are 13-2, and and they're playing New Orleans and the Giants. Dallas are two games back at Tennessee and Washington. So they need to win out and Philly need to lose out. So, like unlikely is what i would say uh the wild card we've got whichever one of those doesn't make it so likely dallas are in two from the giants washington seattle detroit green bay uh so the giants are obviously in with any win washington win if in if they win both of their remaining games who are at um uh, do to cleveland so they're they're home for cleveland and dallas and seattle have the head-to-head over detroit so yeah, so what we're looking at here is I would imagine we're going to get the Giants and yeah. I would hope we get the Lions. Uh, yeah, Ch- it's, it's Chicago at Green Bay. That at Green Bay game is going to be a huge one. Detroit at Green Bay in Week 18 will probably be a win and in. Yeah, I, I would expect, yeah. Well, it depends what the commanders are doing. It, it probably is one of those complicated multiple game scenarios going on um so yeah the giants are almost in um they don't not only have to win one and also there's a combination of loser losing other teams losing that gets them in anyway so uh, i we should take them as a given and then it's it really is a toss-up i think the i think the odds are pretty even all around uh, in terms of that 
So 538 has the Packers at 27%, the, the Lions at 24%, the Commanders at 29%, and the Seahawks at 27%. So basically dead even across the board as to which one yeah. of those is going to get the seventh seed. Obviously, we want the Lions. I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be the Packers because of the way they're they're doing their whole just winning all the time thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's very Packers to be at home and beat the beat the Lions to get into the playoffs. Like, it's very... I mean, it's, it's very Packers to have one of their worst seasons ever, and yet they'll probably go into week 18 needing only to beat the Lions if everyone in their best seasons in a long time to, to get into the playoffs. I mean, that just yeah. feels like how the NFC North works. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, just the other thing, which we'll come to probably more in the offseason. Number one pick, Houston have it at the moment, 2-12-1, with Jacksonville and at Indianapolis to play. Um, they get the number one pick if they lose out. Chicago are only a game back with at Detroit and Minnesota on their list. Seattle have the Denver pick, which is currently at 4-10. and They're playing at Kansas City and at the Chargers. Arizona at 4-10 are at Atlanta and at San Francisco. So there's possibilities, um, but realistically, it's Houston's to win kind of to lose (laughs) so basically yeah if houston don't win they get the number one pick um but yeah what we'll do is so that's kind of what's up in the air for this week we'll move on we'll take a look at our picks for the upcoming week Right, so we'll kick off Thursday Night Football. Dallas at Tennessee. The kind of surging Dallas, who are fortunately two games back, taking on a Tennessee Titans team that we mentioned are absolutely crumbling. So, Ronan, tell us a little bit about this one. We've gone for Dallas across the board. Yeah, like, look, this is a game that isn't really that relevant. Like, Dallas would need Philly to lose out to have any relevance in this game. Tennessee, as we mentioned, it doesn't really matter if they win or not because week 18 is all it's going to be about against Jacksonville. Um, so what's, I don't, it will be interesting to see is Tennessee choose to rest starters or not. Um, I don't think they will because they need to get more reps in from Malik Willis and with, with all of these people because the chances that Tannehill comes back for week 18 based on what I've seen is pretty slim overall. Yeah. Um, so if, if Tennessee are resting starters, that just makes it even more foregone conclusion. But Dallas are a way better team. Tennessee are in a huge slump. They just look completely shot at this point. So Dallas should win this game easily, but I don't know how relevant it will be in the end, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's going to be kind of... It's, it's, it's a question of, like... Yeah, like, like surely the smart move is to just essentially tank this game knowing that it's only Week 18 that work, that matters, right? Yeah, I, I think it's just a situation if you want to get more reps from Malik Willis just to at least see if you can get better week on week, you know? But against yeah. the Dallas defense, it's really tough. Maybe that'll just worsen his uh, morale the... rather than help. Do we know who the Tennessee third stringer is? I don't uh, off the top of my head at all. But, uh, no, no, but I'm sure it's very depressing. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's high quality. Uh, next up, Arizona and Atlanta. We've gone for Atlanta across the board here. Look, these are both teams that are eliminated. Atlanta, uh, Atlanta want to get an idea of what they've got in Desert Ritter here. Arizona, it's a you know end of end of an era there's probably a lot of changeover happening there's probably some people wondering will they have jobs next year jj watts kind of farewell tour thing happening yeah like you could see some weirdness happening but atlanta probably have the most at stake in this and yeah like it's it's just gonna be a bad game don't bother watching it um sean next up we have chicago at detroit obviously relevant for the playoff stuff that we mentioned earlier for detroit not for chicago and chicago are probably I was going to say Chicago are interest like they're they're somewhat interested in losing games at the moment. I would imagine to try and keep their picks nice and high. Yeah, I mean, obviously that the Lions' very bad results last week kind of killed the momentum. They were in such a good place and they were looking like one of the most interesting teams in the league, and then they get kind of effectively blown out by the Panthers. So it's it's a get right scenario. They're still technically live if they win both their games. 
they'll probably make the playoffs. I would think the, the obviously the week eight. They want to be alive for that week eighteen game against the Packers. Uh, at the very least, you'd, you'd want them to bounce back. Um, obviously, they've got great talent on both sides of the ball. The offense has been firing on all cylinders uh, all season. The defense, we thought it was improving. We thought that they'd gotten the, the kinks knocked out of it, but then they got kind of run over by the Panthers. So you'd be worried about that. The Bears do have quite an effective run game, especially in terms of Justin Fields. How they will adjust to that, how they will compensate, how they will stop that is going to be a big question mark. Obviously, these are two divisional rivals who know each other very well. I mean, the Lions just kind of hope that the Bears, they do have, as you say, they do have a habit of losing games even when they play well, which is obviously in in the Lions' favor. And the, the Lions' defense is pretty, or the, the Bears' defense is basically one of the worst in the league. So you'd expect the Lions to score a lot of points. So I guess the question here is how many points can the Bears score? Especially on the ground, can Justin Fields can have one of his amazing games, and will that be enough to, to you know, will they get the 33, 34 points they're going to need to to beat this Lions team who are going to score a lot of points against a pretty terrible defense? Yeah, Indianapolis is the Giants, Ronan. We've gone for the Giants across the board, like you know, one one is fighting for a, for a playoff spot, and one of them is I don't know, hoping Saturday gets fired. Well, I don't think getting your interim head coach fired is, is that likely. And Indianapolis, there's bigger issues than the coaching staff, to be honest. But look, I think this is just a game where you hope and expect that the Giants can take care of business. Uh, the, 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 the the offense looked solid last week against Minnesota, albeit Minnesota's defense is terrible. Um, Saquon Barkley started, find, started finding some form. Daniel Dimes had a decent game. So against Indianapolis defense, which is solid but not spectacular, you hope that they can go up a, you know 20-plus points in this situation. And that should be more than enough against an Indianapolis offense that looked absolutely terrible with Nick Foles at the at the uh, joystick last week. Um, so unless Nick Foles has a big turnaround uh, between last week and this week, it should be an easy enough win for the Giants but you know we know the Giants haven't made their life that easy this season we know the Colts are capable of having splash games occasionally but based mm. on the form book Giants should have this yeah uh, next up Denver Kansas City we've gone for Kansas City across the board um, yeah look Denver play Kansas well but Denver are currently a dumpster fire uh, maybe they get a bounce from the firing of Hackett and the bringing up of their, their new coach but like it's hard to it's hard to see this. Um, maybe maybe if we knew that the number one seed was out of reach for KC or something, but at the moment it's still live, so I imagine they'll be still pushing. Um, Denver probably just trying to bring a little bit of respectability back to it. But as you said, there's a lot of things inside that uh, locker room at the moment that look broken. Uh, next up, New Orleans and Philadelphia. Now this is a this is a big one. The question here is: Will Hurts be brought back into the lineup to try and wrap up that number one seed, the bye week, and give them some time off, or will they kind of wait around? And see if they can just kind of get the right set of results out of the Dallas game or maybe kind of give them the extra week and have them come back for the last week. Um, New Orleans are obviously looking a little bit more solid these days, but they're not, you know, they're not exciting. They're not explosive. Um, like, given what we saw out of Philadelphia last week, I would be relatively happy going into this game with Gardner Minshew and maybe having a break in case of emergency hurts on the sidelines but i i, I don't know because i find this new orleans team very hard to, to to nail down because as soon as i think that they're not going to be doing much they'll show up and they'll drop 30 points and then as soon as i think jesus they might drop 30 points they'll drop six yeah, yeah but i i think we ought to give credit to the eagles they're, they're the stronger team on both sides of the ball here uh, i mean their defense should be able to i mean there's 
you know, the Saints offense is capable of doing occasionally Taysom Hill related weird stuff, but mostly they're they're not great. The Eagles defense should probably be good enough to shut them down and offensively they should have enough to, to beat them. I mean I there is a case to be made for Minshew, especially if, if Hertz is not hundred percent. Um I mean the Eagles really just need one win and I mean it would be nice to pick it up here, but I mean it's it's hard to imagine a scenario where they're going to lose the next two games um so definitely the eagles can start to think about resting starters maybe as you say just in case they end up you know 20 points down they can they can pull back some people but yeah the the eagles are just a much better team they should be fine here yeah i think like new orleans there was a point of the season where they looked like one of the worst teams in the league i think in recent weeks seen them revert to being mediocre average i think a big reason for that is that the defense has got a lot of its starters back and i think this will be a tough test for gardner Minshew if he starts or even jalen hurts if he's playing with an injury um so i don't expect this to be don't necessarily expect this to be a super high scoring game but i think the big difference here is that new orleans offense has just been pretty it's still very mediocre at this point obviously they have the Taysom Hill stuff that they mix in. They have Rashid Shahid stuff that they mix in. Kamara had a couple of solid games, so that's definitely a positive for them. But with Andy Dalton at the quarterback, it's just there's just such a cap on how good that this offense can be. So I think Philly, even with the challenge of a decent defense, even with all that against them, I do think they should be able to score enough here and get it done here against Philly. But look, New Orleans are playing to stay playoff relevant, so they've certainly got a lot to play for. Uh, but Philly are the better team. We'll, we'll give them the advantage here. We go. Yeah, we've gone fully across the board. Uh, next up is another very big, important one, as we mentioned. This one is going to be kind of definitional to this uh, to this division. Carolina at Tampa Bay. Me and Sean have gone for Carolina, and Fitz has gone for Tampa Bay. Brady's been up and down uh, of late. He's kind of had little 10-minute sections where he's looked great, and then 50 minutes where he's just not turned up. This is a, Car- this is a Carolina defense has been looking okay, but the Tampa Bay defense has started to, to buck up of late as well. Can they shut down a run game that went for what was it like 220 yards in the first half last week or whatever like it was it was it was absolute madness um i do think in the heart of hearts of those of these teams are playing for the vaulted position of being that team that you can't remember to answer on a pub quiz when you're asked who who, who made the playoffs from the nfc that year because i don't think anyone's going to remember which one of these teams made it no, I mean, yeah, whoever wins this is probably going out in the wild card round to Dallas um, as the five seed. I mean, it's it's pretty grim viewing. I mean, you'd be more disappointed in the books. Obviously, they're a more talented team and, and have great pieces, but they're just I mean, having a pretty terrible season all around. The Panthers are just very mediocre, but I've been hanging around by virtue of the fact that they can win the odd game and then the, the run game has some has some spark to it. I, I it's it's. Uh, it's it's so annoying this game is relevant because we really shouldn't be talking that much. It's not going to be a great game. It's probably going to be a low-scoring game. I, I mean, there's there's a part of me that goes, this game is going to be ground down for three and a half quarters and Tom Brady will, will turn up for his, you know, his now patented six minutes of playing well and that's usually going to be enough. But, but I mean... I think momentum-wise, I think Carolina are looking a little bit better the last few weeks. They've got a you know a couple of uh, they had a decent win last week and they've been playing pretty well for the you know the last few weeks. So I, I'd give them the edge here just because they they have a little bit of of the the vibes momentum-wise going for them. But I do think the Bucks are the better team, and if we do have to watch one of these teams in the playoffs, it probably is the Bucks. Like a a, ba- a good team playing badly is probably better than a bad team playing okay. Yeah, yeah, it's um, 
Yeah, not it's not exactly the exciting race you'd like to see for the end of one of these, uh, we'll say. But as I said, like never discount top terrific, just turning it on and having a nice little run at the tail end here. Next up, Sean, is your pick of the week, Miami at New England. Me and Fitz have gone for Miami, and Sean, you've gone for New England. Yeah, so from a game that's, you know, one of the more boring games to have to, to watch and analyze, this is going to be a really interesting game, I think, because not necessarily because both teams are in great form or are particularly good, but just that they know each other very well um, and there's a lot at stake. Basically, this is a loser-goes-home kind of game. Whoever loses this is basically out of the... Well, for the Dolphins, are still alive a little bit. They they can beat the Jets and probably sneak in. But but if they if they lose this, I mean, that will be four, five in a row that they've lost and the momentum will be seeping uh, away from them. So obviously, the, the, the Dolphins are probably a more talented team on paper. Their offense at its peak with the, the, the Tua connection to Waddle and Hill is, is one of the most exciting things this league has. With most start, they're getting a, a run game developed. And you'd think that on paper that should be enough for them, but as we've been talking about, we kind of feel that they've been, or at least I kind of feel they've been figured out offensively. The past game is, has been kind of you'd taken away certain options around the middle has made things more difficult too as the mistakes are creeping back in, whether that's concussion related in the last game or not. It's not a great situation um, to be in. The big thing here, obviously, is that the, the New England defense is coached by the best defensive coach in NFL history, who, when there's a team that has obvious you know deficiencies that can be schemed against he's going to scheme against them so the reason i'm going for the pats here is because i believe Belichick will pull off one of his defensive master class he knows exactly how to exploit this this dolphins team and he he will do it he will take away the the, the hill waddle options he will find a way to, to stifle Mostert. he will make to if he's playing do some uncomfortable um things and i think that will be enough they will have to get stuff done offensively and obviously there's some questions about you know, there's general questions about the, the quality of this offense, and there's also specific questions about whether Mac Jones is is finished or is, is slowly being written off. Um, but I think as long as they're alive, they're going to stick with Jones and stick with doing enough. Um, so I think this will, the way I see this is that Belichick will grind this game down into a into a 13-12 type game where Nick Folk kicks the game-winning field goal with three seconds left and everyone um, realizes that it, as long as the Pats are live, um, football may die on their watch um obviously football neutrals will want the dolphins to win but i i think the the pats because of their coaching will have the edge here i don't know if i think that the the new england offense will be able to keep any form of speed even with like even with you know scheming well around what the limitations are i do think just hill and waddle go fast <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> points go up Zoom, 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 and Matt Patricia goes sad. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that New England's defense can do enough to keep them in this one. Um, is my only concern, really. Although, obviously, the two potentially not being there is 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 an additional factor as well. But yeah, it's um it's a good one though. It's a, it's a, it's a very intriguing one this late in the season because if you think about, we opened the season with this inversely didn't we where yeah, yeah. We we're kind of like we we're just berating how bad Tua looked in it and how he's under throwing the guys in the roots and actually that New England looked pretty good and they got a bad rub off the refs and now it's kind of like yeah I've got quite quite a different opinion on both these teams at the at the tail end of the season which is interesting I think yeah I think it's both it's a game where both teams really love to be able to run the ball like you've kind of seen Stevenson slow down a couple of times in recent weeks and obviously had the fumble issues and obviously Miami's run game has been very up and down um, it's had a couple of good games recently, but also if you 
duds. Um, but if either team, these teams could just run the ball well and kind of take the pressure off their respective quarterback, particularly for Miami, if Tua doesn't start, that would be a huge relief to them. But uh, I'm sure both teams are aware of that, so they'll be able to shut that down. But if they could get that done, that would make a huge difference, I think. Yeah. Uh, into the late window, Cleveland at Washington. Me and Sean have gone for Cleveland. Fitz has gone for Washington. Um, I was going for Washington, and then I read the news that Carson Wentz is back in, and I decided <laughs> to swap. Uh, I don't think this is the right call with the playoffs on the line. I think Heidi gives him a little bit more of a spark. I think there's a Cleveland team that's not great. They've actually looked if anything, somewhat worse under Watson, but he looked slightly better in the most recent game. Maybe they'll find a little bit more space here. I think the main concern in this is basically, can they keep him upright against a fairly decent defensive line in Washington? Um, And then from Washington's defensive side, what are they going to be able to do against a fairly strong run game from Cleveland? Yeah. I mean, my, my feeling on this is, is, is quite similar to you. I, I think, I think there's obviously not an awful lot of talent in either of these two teams, and I think mostly what they have is defensively. Uh, offensively, there are question marks over, obviously, how much Deshaun Watson is actually contributing to the Browns being good. Should they just focus on the run game and just grind it out that way? And for the commanders, I mean, Heineke, is, he was always mistake-prone, but he was exciting in that sense. He made things happen. He, he had a bit of a, a magic to him occasionally that turned things up, whereas Wentz is, especially in a big game, Wentz, I mean, we talked about this, uh, this was a, the the theme of last last year when he uh, at the Colts is whenever the game was on the line that's when Wentz was going to be making mistakes for him to be coming back in this scenario where they're they're playoff they're right on the edge of the of playoff contention their fight they have basically have to win out if they uh, realistically if they, they if they win out in order to hold on to put them back after all these weeks out into this scenario against a pretty decently coached team who have some defensive, you know, uh, spark to them. I, I think he's going to, there's going to be a bunch of interceptions. I think he's going to make a ton of mistakes, especially down the crunch. And that's why I think the Browns will, will eke it out because I just, I have no faith whatsoever that Carson Wentz can produce when, when the chips are down. Car- Carson Wentz is, is why I swapped to Cleveland. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I think, you know, the, it depends on the type of mistakes, right? Like if Carson Wentz is just inaccurate, but just you know, overthrowing guys, whatever like that, that's one thing. But if he's throwing the, ball to the other team that's another thing completely so and that's probably true of Deshaun Watson as well like I think this is really much a you know whose mistakes get punished more type Derp of off. game yeah basically like I think if if one team ends up being unlucky and having three turnovers that's probably the team that's going to lose here but you know I think Washington overall probably have a more talented roster on both sides of the ball at the moment. I think Jahan Dotson has come on well for the Washington offense. Terry McLaurin's come on well, although we'll see how well he does without uh, with, with, with Wentz in there instead of Heineke. And the run game has been okay-ish. Uh, and the defense, we know, has a really solid defensive line that could extract mistakes from um, Deshaun Watson. So I like this. For, for me, it's pretty much a 50-50 game because both these teams are very capable of losing any given game. But uh, I give it to Washington just because I suppose they have more to play for, so they'll be more up for it. Yeah, uh, San Francisco at Las Vegas. We've gone from San Francisco across the board here, Ronan. Uh, one of these guys, uh, one of these teams is competing for the first overall seed and the other team is Las Vegas. Yeah, well, technically Las Vegas are alive, so they've got everything to play for, right? But with their 1% chance. But yeah, like, look, La- Las Vegas have been inexplicably bad in recent weeks, losing games. Nothing they no inexplicable right to about it. Well, fair enough. But like, San Francisco, <laughs> are, San Francisco are a good team. They've played really solid ball on both sides of the ball. Nick Bosa is having a really good end of the season. Brock Purdy's playing a really solid uh, game in terms of the pass game. CMC has been playing really well when leaned on um, and Kittle and Ayuk have been solid uh, for Purdy in terms of that pass game as well. Um, and the defense has said, led by 
by Bosa is really you know they're just getting the job done overall. As for Vegas, like the, you know, like there is a route to Vegas winning this game. Jacobs has another good game. They finally get Adams involved in the game passing game again. Darren Waller looks solid on his return, but you know Derek Carr has just had a really bad uh, strip back end of the season. Um, you know he's very much a candidate to be traded away because he's obviously not the future with this franchise. Although the whole Devontae Adams thing kind of complicates that somewhat as well. But overall, San Francisco are a better team. They should win this game. Uh, Vegas, unless they really turn up the burners, don't really have a shot, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, we have the Rams taking on the Chargers. Uh, we've gone for the Chargers across the board. It's an interesting call, given the Rams just won 51-something last week. Sean, tell me more. Well, I mean, yeah, the Rams just beat up the Broncos, but they've had a pretty terrible season. And, I mean, I, I have a lot of time for Baker Mayfield. I do think that he's probably been underserved. But uh, it's this team is, you know, on the back burners. They, they basically put all their stars out to pasture for the year and have kind of given up. Whereas the Chargers, I mean... There's there's a question mark to make about whether now that they made the playoffs to start resting starters, but I I I'm always kind of against that as an idea. I think there is momentum here. Um, obviously, there's bragging rights about who who owns the building and who gets to be the the the, the king of LA, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I I think now that the Chargers have found some groove, I would ex- I would hope Brandon Staley kind of keeps the momentum going and keeps them winning. I mean, there's the question of of, of uh, keeping their seating up. I mean, they don't want to get pulled into the six and seven seeds. You'd rather you'd rather have the five seed and, and set yourself up against, say, the Jags uh, in the in the in the wild card run. So I, I would expect the Chargers to play hard. I think obviously we've talked about them being charging a lot, being up and down all season. But they find they're getting healthy. They're beginning to put you know a couple of good performances back to back. They're beginning to look a little bit like the Chargers we saw at the start of the season. Whereas the Rams, uh, as exciting as they look with Bayer May- Baker Mayfield, they're a team who are the 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 soccer term is at the beach because the season ends in summer not winter but they're they're at the they're at the the, the, the mountains throwing snowballs at one another or whatever yes they're ah. at the ski the ski lodge you've convinced uh, me Sean I'm swapping my pick to the rams <laughs> <laughs> the charge is going to charge and, yeah, yeah. charge is going to charge and also it's, it's that thing of I kind of forgotten that like this is actually the rams house and the chargers are just like subletting a basement of it uh and well yeah. no they have no none of them have any fans I mean, everyone in LA is a San Francisco fan uh, for yeah, historical reasons so uh, yeah, yeah. I would be surprised if this game has as a is sold out in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I think, given that the NFL Network has moved a their offices to beside the place, I'd say if they haven't got them sold, they're going to be giving them out like <laughs> like free suites to the staff members there. Um, and yeah, I think that'll that'll probably get it filled up a little bit more. Next up is um, another one for you, Sean. Jacksonville at Houston. Uh, your Jacksonville Jaguars. We've all picked them across the road, but the Houston team that's played a couple of teams close and actually won last week. Uh, does it scare you at all? Yeah, no, don't count out the Texans here. I mean, the Jags, obviously, this is effectively an irrelevant game given that they have a Week 18 decider against the Titans no matter what happens. So you could see the argument of them resting few starters are taking things easy or, you know, keeping some plays and some yeah. some things in reserve for week 18. And as you say, the Texans have looked pretty spicy last three or four weeks. They've they pushed some good teams close and they, they, they've 
obviously beat the Titans, who are not a good team. Um, and Mills is, you know, he's he's shown a little bit of little of a spark at QB. I think it's better to stick with one QB rather than moving back and forth as they did for a few weeks. Um, again, though, it's a question of momentum. I, I would expect Doug Peterson. I mean, this is a team that's in a very good place. They, you know, they they won I think four of their last five. The Jags. They, obviously, we've been talking about Trevor Lawrence getting into his groove. The receiving core is doing some good things. The defense is starting to figure out exactly what it is in terms of what it's good at and what it's not. Um, so, I mean, I think they have the momentum and I think they'll try and keep things seriously because there is there is a thing called momentum, even if people, if the stats guys don't want to talk about its existence. And if you have a, a stinker here, it, it takes a little bit while to get going in week 18. So I think to be serious and be professional, a Jack should, should you know, send out their starters and win. But it could be close and definitely the Texans could could make it interesting uh, if they if they play as they've been playing the last few weeks. Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have the Jets taking on the Seattle Seahawks. I've gone for the Seahawks. You guys have gone for the Jets. Mike White is back. Mike White is back. You know, we can relax. Uh, Gino is hopefully going to get his revenge on his uh, his original team, the team that broke his jaw and broke his heart. Uh, and this is kind of a big, big fight, basically, to see who gets to stay in the wild card battle. Um, both of these teams are currently somewhat on the outside looking in but are both still live and both need this win quite desperately uh it's at home for seattle which is why i'm deciding to throw for them and i think that they've kind of gotten a bit unfortunate in a couple of breaks i think the jets traveling over white mike white is back but like you know he's only three weeks away three weeks like detached from breaking several ribs um this is a decent defense from seattle who'll know to kind of go in and start pressuring him early and see if he's seeing ghosts uh but i could definitely see the, the jet side of this i would take this as a pick em game i'm just going with the home side in that uh, in, in that scenario yeah i mean obviously obviously the jets are on a bit of a downward slope they've kind of i think they've last four weeks i think maybe they've lost all four or they're one and three or something that's kind of falling apart a little bit but we've talked about what the problems are the problems the jets are at quarterback and i do think mike mike white is the best option that they have this is basically their season on the line if they lose this they're, they're out of contention and i think this the way they played at their peak and especially how good their defense they deserve to to at least push it to 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 the big uh to the big week week 18 game um against either the dolphins or the pats i can't it's the it's the the Dolphins, isn't it? They're playing in Week 18. I think I think they deserve to push it all the way. Seattle, obviously, they're making the most of what they have, and Geno has had a much better season than anyone could expect. But I think this Jets defense will have too much for for what isn't uh, unspectacular uh, Seahawks offense, and I think that'll be the difference in this one. Yeah, I think if Seattle are going to win this game, the big thing they need to do is have Kenneth Walker have the game he had against Kansas City last week. If they can't run the ball. Given the quality of this Jets pass defense, I just can't see a right to victory for Seattle. I think, mm. you know, with Tyler Lockett out, DK Metcalf can just be locked up, you imagine, and then, you know, who are you going to rely on after that? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, basically nobody. So I think if the Seattle can run the ball well, that gives them a chance. And certainly against this Jets offense, there's a chance that they can keep them, you know, fairly low scoring. But I think the Jets overall have shown a little bit more spark, even in the losses, than Seattle. Like Seattle just, yeah, the magic has kind of left them at this point. Uh, but look, at home, with the fans on their side and obviously a winnable game in week 18 to potentially get them to the playoffs. They have everything to play for, but I think that big run, the run game is a big thing for Seattle if they're going to win this. Yeah. Uh, next up is your pick of the week, Ronan. Minnesota are going to Green Bay. This is obviously a very, very big game for Green Bay. Minnesota, somewhat less so, but, you know, uh, they still want to kind of play up there only a game back in the hunt of Philly having to drop a game or two. So, uh, yeah, tell us a bit about this. 
Yeah, so I think this is a game where I'm su- certainly a bit of a surprise. It's like, where me and Sean have gone for Green Bay, you've gone for Minnesota, Connor. Like, I think given the, ref- the the records that each team has, you'd expect Minnesota to be the you know the team that people prefer here. But I think to a certain extent, this is also a vibe check. Right? We know why Sean doesn't pick Minnesota too overall. But I think Green Bay, they're a team that's really been getting some wins when it's mattered down the stretch. They've been playing tough. Uh, like you know, it hasn't been spectacular by any extent, but they've been playing tough football yeah. and winning football, and they've been willing to put pretty much pull out everything and the kitchen sink to try and get wins in recent weeks. And I think that you know reflects the desperation that they have. Obviously, this is almost certainly going to be the last season with Aaron Rodgers, so he, he certainly isn't going to back down unless he you know unless he's literally kicked off the field. Um, so you think Green Bay they have a little bit more invested here, and they've been a little bit more solid in recent weeks. Obviously, the pass game is still a bit of an issue. Uh, they'll be desperate to have Christian. Watson back since he's been such a big part of having a, a explosive spark to their offense to kind of go with the solid run game with Dylan and Jones. Um, uh, but obviously guys like Lazard and stuff have stepped up to some extent in recent weeks as well. But you know it's never like you know this is a game where they probably need to keep Minnesota to around you know twenty mid twenty points or less t- to win. Um, and that's going to be a tough ask, right? Because you're playing against Dalvin Cook, you're playing against Justin Jefferson. But we do know that you know when the when the lights are on and the big games come calling, that Kirk Cousins is very much prone to. Have having a big, you know, pant, you know, shitting his pants moment. Uh, and while this isn't quite in prime time, it wouldn't be surprising to see him do that here against the Green yeah. Bay defense, which the Green Bay has been a bit disappointing on defense, but they have talent there. So if they step up and are really up for this game, then I could see them putting together a solid um, defensive showing. As for Minnesota, their big weakness and why Green Bay have a shot is that their defense has been terrible. Uh, for pretty much the entire season. So Green Bay should have a chance of beating up on this defense, even with the limited resources they have. Mm. And if they could do that, then I think Green Bay certainly have a chance of getting this done. But, you know, I think we probably should prefer Minnesota based on the record. But, you know, I think we all kind of want to see Green Bay poop on them a bit oh, yeah. and kind of show up Minnesota for who they are. Like, again, I'm doing some of my pick is a combo of I'm behind a little bit in the pick, so I need to try a bit of catch up. So I've got a couple of contrarians where it's close enough I can I can swing it. But yeah, like the problem is Green Bay, as much as they're playing a bit better, uh, I think Sean touched on it beforehand. They've just not shut the door on anyone yet. Like they've not been the kind of dominant force we've seen. And the problem with this Minnesota team is that unless you shut the door on them, like Jesus Christ, like 33 points isn't shutting the door. I don't know what is like. They can sneak back into games and, like, they do have talent. Like, Kirk Cousins is whatever, but they do have talent. So I can see them sneaking in and causing an issue. And the question is, in previous years when Green Bay, if they were in any way pushed by a team, you go, okay, it's going to Adams. And at the moment, we just don't have a who it's going to for them. So if they do get pushed, I'm not sure what the answer is. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm not... a. 100% believer that Green Bay are quote-unquote back, and I certainly am a believer that Aaron Rodgers is 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 back into form, but the Vikings are total frauds, right? And, yeah, yeah. Um, Rodgers, he's always up for spiting people. I mean, he's he's driven so much by, by show, especially in the NFC North, to, to you know wave his dick around and show people that he's still the man. And definitely in a game like this, where the Packers season is on the line and the Vikings have been fluking their way to, to 11 wins or 12 wins, um, I can definitely see Rodgers turning up for one of his last kind of big, big games that people remember him for uh, and getting the win. Um, 
but yeah, you're right. I mean, on paper, the Vikings should win, but the way the momentum is going, I, I kind of think that the Packers yeah. should have the edge here. Yeah. Well, it's a big definitional game, isn't it? Because we always said Minnesota can't beat playoff teams. So if Green Bay <laughs> wins, yeah. But if, if Minnesota wins, they're also likely that kicks Green Bay out because they'll be on to yeah. nine losses. And so, like, it is kind of a definitional, <laughs> does the old metric hold? Um, Sunday night football, Pittsburgh are taking on Baltimore. I've gone for Baltimore. You boys have gone for Pittsburgh. Lamar should be back here, but the question is. Pittsburgh are making that run at staying at the no losing season thing, um, but they haven't really been playing like stellar oppositions, and they haven't looked great in them. They've just been kind of like good defense and just about enough on offense. Um, this will be a defensive battle for sure. Uh, Baltimore, I just, I said it last week. I'll say it again. I just don't get this Baltimore team. They don't, they just don't seem to work properly. You know. Um, but they're only a game back, so they kind of need this. This is an in-division game. And then they've got Cincinnati next week. So, like, yeah, they really, really need to, to have this happen because there's a, there's a chance and we'll come to it because my pick of the week is next. Like, Cincinnati have a tough game this week. And if they're only a game back and they get to play each other in Week 18, we could have a massive, massive Week 18 game for this. But, um, yeah, I'm citing Baltimore just because I don't trust the Pittsburgh offense still. Um but, you know, this Baltimore offense has essentially been flick a coin and that'll decide whether it's good or bad on a given week. So who knows? Yeah, like it's very similar to the Minnesota Green Bay game, right? Like where the record says that Baltimore should be favored. Uh, but Baltimore right now, very, very uncertain about them. They had a better game last week. And I think, you know, this is very much shaping up to be a classic AFC North battle where both teams are, you know, leaning on their defense, leaning on the run game and taking it out of the hands of their quarterback as much as they can. Uh, but I think if it does come down to a quarterback battle, it will really come down to whether Lamar is in or not. It's very much up in the air right now based on what John Harbaugh said. Uh, but even if he's in there, Snoop Huntley's in there. So, you know, it's not the worst quarterback situation in the league, at least. So I think the big thing for me with Pittsburgh is that the defense, you know, once uh, TJ Watt came back has really made a big step up and their offense while still not spectacular each week it feels like it's getting better and better and I think you know the pass game is coming together with Friar Moot uh, making a big contribution from tight end and the wide receivers coming in and Najee Harris is solid enough so I think you know I think that's why I'm favoring them but it's very very much 50-50 because I think the big thing for Baltimore and why I think they're in a better shape than they were a couple of weeks ago is that the traditional run game have made huge step back since J.K. Dobbins come back Gus Bus is also back and being in decent form. So if Baltimore can run the ball well, then they definitely have a shot in this game. But I think the the the, the basically the lack of pass game they'll have if they don't have Lamar back, I think is why I'm favouring Pittsburgh, but just by the smallest of margins. Uh, I believe in the Tomlin streak, and therefore I will be picking the Steelers until the end of the season. Or, okay. Or Exciting times then. Uh, who who have they got in the second half? And so it's Baltimore. And, oh, it's Cleveland, right? Cleveland, so yeah, so this yeah. is probably yeah. Yeah, both both about decent levels for 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 a, for a pitched 50-50 year. Uh, finally, my pick of the week is Monday Night Football. Buffalo are going over to take on Cincinnati, and this is going to be very intriguing. So Buffalo, obviously, on last week, I myself and Fitz have picked Cincinnati to win. Sean has gone for Buffalo. To be honest, I could see the side pulling this off. Um, Cincinnati are obviously missing uh, offensive linemen. There's question marks over whether or not that'll be a huge impact because bear in mind Buffalo are also missing some defensive line work and Von Miller and so on. So there's there's weaknesses that are matching weaknesses in this game. There's strengths that are matching strengths in this game. Um, The big question, I think, for me, is will this Cincinnati defense be able to slow down Buffalo? I'm obviously watching this 
but not only just because it's going to be a good game, but I'm very interested as a third-party observer because, again, these are teams that the Chiefs, if they're to do anything in the AFC this year, are going to have to go through probably at least one of these, if not both of these teams. Um, so I'm very intrigued to see how their play styles are looking now at the back end of the season. There have been some shifts in how some of them are doing. I'd love to see how Cincinnati is going to use the run game here, what they're going to do in response to how they got absolutely bodied out of the second half of their game last week. Uh, yeah, like this is... This is a big game for both of them. Cincinnati need this win to push themselves into contention for the number one seed. Buffalo need to win this game to make sure that they don't drop out of the number one seed. Um, these are two top-end offenses. These are two very well-stocked, I think more so on the Buffalo side, defenses. Uh, I think it should make for a very exciting game, particularly with Buffalo on the road, because I do think on a completely flat neutral field, I'd be citing Buffalo. But I think with Cincinnati at home and everything that's on the line for them, I think uh, they're going to want to show something following that uh, New England game. Yeah, but my problem with this Bengals team is exactly what's happened in the last two weeks. Is they they turn up? They seem to turn up for only parts of games, or have they have recently been only turning up for past parts of games? They have a certain kind of momentum to them, and when they're on form, they're unstoppable. But when they're not off form, they can go entire games, entire halves without scoring points. And the Bills, I mean, the Bills, you know. They came into the season as looking like one of the best teams in the league. They looked like one of the best teams in the league for like the first six or seven weeks. Then things kind of went off the boil a little bit. But I definitely think in the last like four or five weeks, they've been back uh, back to their best. They've been winning tight games against other good teams by showing up and doing good things in the fourth quarter. Their defense is stepping up when needed. Obviously, Josh Allen, when he's to the extent that he's healthy, is is playing at, at the highest level that I've seen him when he's when he's at his very peak. And I think that's going to be the difference. I think I can trust this Bills team to to play at a very high level for 60 minutes and for Josh Allen to play at super high level for the last like 10 minutes of that 60. Whereas I feel the Bengals will, will probably play two, maybe two and a half good quarters, but maybe won't have it other than that. And I think those are the margins at the top end of the AFC and at the top end of the NFL overall that are the difference. Is, is Teams like the Bills who can bring it the whole way and can play at their top level for the entire game um, is what puts them above teams like the Bengals who are very exciting at their peak but maybe don't have the ability to, to, to play that way uh, for the full 60 minutes. And I, to be honest it's almost my biggest concern about Buffalo not just for this game but for the playoffs is that they've become uber reliant on Josh Allen down the stretch like you haven't really seen that much from Stefan Diggs and the rest of the passing attack so it's really just been Josh Allen running the ball a lot and then picking up some passes but not in the kind of explosive way where i think but like the cincinnati pass offense outside of some you know some occasional la uh, dips has still genuinely been more explosive so this is a game where i think if, if cincinnati can put up the explosive plays with jamar chase and t higgins they can keep the score running over then that'll just increase the pressure to i don't know if it's gonna be a sustainable degree for josh allen to just keep putting his body on the line keep doing ridiculous stuff and keep it going that way so you know i think this as connor says a 50 50 game so i'm not really uh that pushed on on the pick either way but you know I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about this buffalo team becoming so reliant on josh allen um you know and, and basically both in terms of Josh Allen holding up to that, but also just in terms of other teams being able to shut that down as they don't have to worry too much about the other things. Yeah, no, um, like I said, it should it should make for a very good game. It's just a pity it's on so feckin' late. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> we'll have to watch it the following morning. Um, very good. Any plans for the weekend yourselves, lads? Uh, I am off to Liverpool on, what do you say, on Friday to uh, see... Uh, Liverpool played Anfield against Leicester, and then we're going to do New Year's there. So uh, yeah, very nice. 
Lovely. A good few days. I may not be on the pod next week uh, mm. because I may be in Liverpool, but we'll see. It's okay. We'll make your picks for you. <laughs> Get him dropped out of first. Um, yeah. So that that's that's yeah. That's kind of a fortieth birthday present slash things I've never done before. So yeah. that sounds lovely. Very nice. What are yourself? It's are you also turning forty? Uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm going to be calving through New Year's probably. So uh, hopefully just getting healthier is the main thing and. And, uh, hopefully back to a uh, full fettle in terms of the voice by that point as well mm, very good yeah no we'll be chipping away here and uh similar nothing nothing major planned uh also not turning 40 so that's uh i'll take that as a win i suppose but um yeah in a way connor aren't we all turning 40 eventually uh jesus unfortunately not not true for everyone uh but yeah yeah uh yeah we are slowly slowly meandering towards 40 apart from you you're now breaking those barriers um but yeah no of That'll do, I suppose, for this week. Uh, we will we'll need to we'll need to figure out what we're going to do about uh, both the Super Bowl for what we're going to do, and also um, I don't know if you saw online this is the side one. Uh, there's chat of of, of some uh, some exciting bits of uh, football coming over here for, uh, for 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 shows. Jeff Reinbold is talking about doing a tour around Ireland and doing some NFL shows the week before the Super Bowl as well. So we'll see if we can link in with him. Wow. That'll be good fun. But yeah, so I suppose, as always, you can get us on email, on, on Twitter, or all that kind of stuff. But uh, for now, it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from John. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week.